Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Death RX. Death is a prescription. <laughs> Today we're counting down the 10 best and craziest films involving nurses, patients, doctors, and empty hospitals. Like For some reason, hospitals are always empty in horror films. Um, where else are you going to get a list like this but here on High on Horror, bro? That's fair. And, uh, that chuckle was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with us today, we have special guest Michael Smallwood, who you all know as the guy in the doctor costume in Halloween Kills. Shane from Righteous Gemstones. Right, and, and you know, the guy that everyone thought was Julian's father in the first film, but he actually wasn't. We'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, Michael's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. And like always, we're going to start this episode off with a little smoking. All that and more today on. High on horror. horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. And now it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment where John and I discuss which strain we're getting wrecked on in each episode. I got uh, some Honey Badger Haze. Uh, it's also known as just Honey Badger. It's a relatively new sativa dominant. Um, but the uh, it's listed as being uh, peppery, citrus, and herbal. Um, I, with me, I definitely smell like like a lemony like fruit. Let me Here, check I'll, it I'll out. pass that over Hold to on, you. Yeah. Oh yeah, the lemon's very prominent. Absolutely, it smells delicious. It's like coated too. It's very fuzzy. Beautiful, beautiful. I uh, goddamn. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, every time I've went to buy it, it's always been out of stock. <coughs> So it's a popular one. <laughs> yeah, this is why John dies. <coughs> yeah, it's a newer one. That's uh, I finally got my hands on that. So it's pretty damn good though. It definitely kicks a kicks a pack, packs a kick, packs a punch, <laughs> whatever the fuck it is. It hey, fucked you up already. <laughs> well, uh, so, uh, dude, did you see? Uh, so Jamie Lee, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, officially like signed off on the Halloween franchise. Mm-hmm. Her filming's done. Uh, for Halloween ends, uh, she said farewell to the franchise and said, you know, basically that's it for her. I mean, she said the same thing after Resurrection. This time, I believe her though. I do believe her this time. I think this is it. She is getting a little older, but what do you think? I mean, did she like non-officially say that after like the second one? Um, didn't she like kind of allude like everybody kind of thought it was going to be that way with H two O, and then they like. Got her to sign on for Resurrection. She was like, fucking kill me in the first 10 minutes. I'm fucking out of here. Right. Um, only because of her age, I think I agree with that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She's getting older. I mean, do we really want to see, like, Jamie Lee back at, like, 80? Like, <laughs> trying to fight Michael again? Well, uh... It's starting to get a little ridiculous at this point. Yeah, that's why I think it should just... I agree that it should just, you know... It should just end... But um, it's uh, it's funny because you know what happened with Resurrection. I'm sure you've heard the story. I don't know if you listeners out there have heard this, but what happened was like Jamie Lee was so sold on H2O and the ending and how Michael Myers dies at the end. And I agree. I thought that that was a great ending personally. If there had never been another Halloween movie, like I would have been happy with the way that ended. Um, but uh, she wanted that ending so bad. But uh, you know, uh, they the the studio the Akads did not want. Uh, Michael Myers to die so the only way that she could have that ending was if uh, she agreed to come back in the sequel 
Uh, so she said, fine, I'll come back in the sequel, but you got to kill me off like right away. Like, I don't want to be a part of the series anymore. So like, she kind of had to do resurrection. So I feel like she kind of, you know, it was like a give and take. She really didn't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, our buddy Ian, we had on when we talked about the Halloween series, uh, on his deep dive, he was saying that originally, um, Jamie Lee signed on if Michael was going to die. And like Mustafa Cod, like kind of just talked to the producers and was like, give me a back door that like, I can keep the franchise going <laughs> after this. He didn't want that profit to stop dripping in, man. Yeah. You know, even, even as small as they were, I mean, you put a Halloween movie out and I guess with the exception of H2, since I've been able to see him, like even the Rob Zombie one, I knew I wasn't going to like it. And right. I still went and saw it in theaters just because it was a new Halloween I mean, I got to be honest, though, with the new Halloween films with uh, 2018 and Kills, I got to say that uh, this is the happiest that I've been with the Halloween series in a long time. I'm happy with the direction it went in. I'm really looking forward to ends. And uh, John Carpenter said uh, that the idea is to kill the franchise with ends. Like, that's it. Like, no more Michael Myers. The Halloween franchise is dead. But, I mean... We've heard that before. Do we really think that that's true? I mean, yeah, may, I think I think that could be true for now, but nobody's going to just let Michael Myers die. There is always going to be a prophet there. There's always a crowd there. I'll give it 20 years, 15, 20 years. He'll be back, even if maybe, it's a whole new storyline. Maybe for the rest of Carpenter's life, the uh, series uh, will be killed off. I mean, fair enough. And all with all due respect. Yeah, but he's also getting up there as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I'm still apprehensive about how they're going to end this whole thing. It's a lot of like, pressure, man. It's a like that's your ending, like the most famous slasher franchise. But then, like the thing is, like H two O was definitive. Yeah, it and was. St- like I even if they chopped his head off, like went that route again, I still feel like I'd be like, mm, I'm not buying it. Or I'd be like, it's been done before. I feel like at this point, if you're going to really end it. This death, ha- his death, has to be something like special. Like it can't be a rehash. It can be a homage, but it can't be like a rehash. I need to see it. Yeah, exactly. I need to see it. Like do it all. Like do a H two and a resurrection or um H two a homage. Do like fucking take his eyes out and then cut it. So do something extreme to make us go like, fuck yeah. You know, like give us something like that. Yeah, you know, that would be cool. That would be badass if he lost both eyes and got his fucking head chopped off. There ain't no That's, coming back from that. Yeah. Well, we'll unless see. Some pet cemetery shit, you know. Unless you don't want to go down it, that road. <laughs> unless, unless there's an EMS worker that walks by that he can crush his larynx, <laughs> and, and Jamie Lee can come back for the ten minutes of the next one. Oh, uh, but uh, yeah, speaking of Carpenter, um, he's talking about a thing remake. I mean, not not remake sequel. It should be called The Things. That'd be cool. <laughs> the Things. <laughs> or instead of like, yeah, like how is Alien Things? Yeah. Yep. But do we really, do we really, do we really need a sequel? <laughs> do we need a sequel? No. But would I watch a sequel? I mean, yeah. And like, if, the, if Carpenter was involved too, like if he's involved as involved in it as he is in these Halloween movies, I have to watch it. You have to at least give it a chance. But, right? Like, he's talking about like directing it. From what I've seen, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. He if he has a, it all depends on the team like, that's back. His last man. couple outings as a director were not good. Yeah, that's why you know. No offense to Carpenter, he's our favorite of all time, but you will not find the ward <laughs> on our list later in this episode. <laughs> no, and uh, yeah. Also speaking of him, he said because they just did the 4K restoration of Escape from LA. Yeah, right. I just saw that. And yeah. now people are like talking about how Escape from LA is a good film. 
And Carpenter <laughs> even said that it's superior to Escape from New York. And there's no way that's true. It's a, Wait, it's superior to Escape? Escape from L.A. is superior. Is, is, I can't even say that because it just you took me for a loop there. <laughs> Escape from L.A. is better than Escape from New York. Did that's I just what hear Carpenter that said. He said that Escape from L.A. is the superior film. That's no. There's no. I mean, just the, just the scene where Snake rides the fucking tidal wave. Next to Steve there's a Buscemi lot of people in the I know car. That like that. That's ridiculous. No, there's no but way. But that is what I think of why I'm like, no. And, and, I mean, come on, no Donald Pleasance, no Adrian Barbeau. I mean, really? Isaac Hayes. Yeah, yeah, Isaac uh, Hayes. Ernest Bornine. Mm-hmm. <sighs> then there was another, I think there was another guy who was in a bunch of Carpenter films, if I remember it. I, oh, God, that dude, he was... uh. He's in Pumpkinhead. I'm drawing blanks right yeah. now. The old guy with the beard. Yeah, I, I, yeah. But uh, Snake in Escape from New York has such good lines like "fuck, fuck, 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 fuck your president and fuck your war." Yeah, and the ending, the total "fuck you" ending. That whole movie's just punk rock. I feel like Escape from LA was Hollywood. Yeah, that's fair. I just I don't I don't know why Carpenter's saying that. I think it's just for sales because he does. He likes his money. Or maybe it's like Halloween's ending. What's the next most profitable movie I have or most popular movie I have that could maybe be a cash in? And I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, I, I, you got to see where he's coming from. Cash in, cash out. Um, you know? Yeah, I think uh, I think that'll about wrap, wrap this up. I don't, well, what I don't... do you got going on for us this week in horror history? This week in horror history. All right, so this week for horror history, uh, we don't have too big of a list here, but uh, we have from 1964, The Last Man on Earth. Oh, man, I love The Last Man on Earth. you like that movie? Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I've pro- Probably the last time I saw it was a kid. I Oh, shit, so it's been a while. But do you remember liking it? I don't remember disliking it. Okay. But I don't really, I honestly don't remember a whole lot from it. Well, this is my uh, second favorite Vincent Price film after The Abominable Dr. Fibes. That's a classic movie. Um, this was originally adapted uh, from I Am Legend, the story by Richard Matheson, who also wrote other classics like A Star of Echoes, which would later be uh, made into a movie uh, starring Kevin Bacon called Star of Echoes, which was amazing. But anyway, after The Last Man on Earth, the story was retold a few times over the years in cinema. There was The Omega Man in 1971. Uh, starring Charlton Heston and then the Will Smith one that actually went with the actual title I Am Legend but was the weakest of the bunch Last Man on Earth is actually the best and most faithful adaptation of the story and uh, 30th anniversary demonic toys Uh, (laughs) uh, that is just full moon cheese man lots of fun one of my all time favorite full moon movies for sure is full moon cornered the market on like killer toys possibly they didn't they haven't done it the best but they definitely. Well, I'm just saying, they yeah, I, I, it, yeah, I wasn't judging them. I'm just saying, I feel like they have a lot of movies. Yeah. About killer dolls or toys or food, because Ginger Dead Man and you know, oh, and sure, bongs I love even. Ginger Dead Man. They're just there's any elemental thing, bongs, food. I mean, or just you know, bongs and food and toys and whatever the fuck they can get their hands on. Full Moon will take advantage of it, and Full Moon's always big on showing a lot of nudity too. So I mean, at least they make up for like the bad cinema by throwing in some like visuals. And uh, from 1975, we have Deep Red. Oh, man. that's I still think uh, Tenebrae's Argento's best Jallo. But uh, Deep Red uh, 
has a more brilliant uh i mean it's deep red but with a more brilliant brilliant twist and the psychology goes a lot deeper as well but deep red is a masterpiece and one of the greatest giallo films ever made um this is in my top three films by argento after suspiria and tenebrae it's it's a clever film with a lot of gore and good kills a creepy puppet named billy that's where billy the puppet from saul came from uh, james wan's nod to argento and uh wan was heavily influenced by argento um Mark Daly, uh, David Hemmings, uh, talking to his students in the beginning of the film, is Argento saying to the audience, Deep Red is not going to be neat and tidy. And it's not. It's gritty and it's bloody and it's uh, dark as hell. But uh, there's little things like the uh, the symbolism of the close-up of knives, you know, one being big and one being small, representing the child and the mother aspect. you got to love how like pretty the grotesque is in Argento's films. And here's a knowledge nugget for you listeners out there. Amanda Reggetti being dunked in the tub almost killed actress uh, Juliana Calandra. Uh, she actually passed away in 2018, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, she almost died during filming because she wasn't signaling right to tell them that she couldn't breathe. So she didn't take deep enough breaths and almost drowned. I always like watch stuff in movies with like holding breath. And I'm like, there's no way my fat ass would have survived. <laughs> I know, man. I'm like, you give me like... 20 seconds tops <laughs> yeah like people like oh i can hold my breath for two minutes how yeah right exactly anyway uh yeah uh i didn't see it until i think it was last season joe bob mm-hmm. well, not the most recent season but the one before that yeah th- three yeah, that's right you're 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 new to it but you loved it right yeah i've i'm newer to the jalo films than you are but uh i do enjoy them yeah that's yeah uh, you can't go wrong with deep red and a uh, 36 at year anniversary, Children of the Corn. Again, yet another great story from the book Night Shift by Stephen King. That book may be the greatest collection of horror short stories ever told, in my opinion. Uh, the short story was originally published in an issue of, issue of Penthouse, actually. Um, and... Uh, this 1984 film actually is not the first adaptation of the story. There was a short film called Disciples of the Crow, which was released a year earlier in 1983 and was actually more faithful to the source material. Uh, the 1984 movie changes a lot of things about the book, um, like the fact that Bert and Vicky hate each other in the book and, and they're on the verge of divorce. In the movie, they aren't married and are very happy. Uh, what, what did you say the name of the... Disciples of the Crow. Yeah, this, that sounds way cooler than Children of the Corn. Dude, doesn't it? I know. Like I, I'm like, and, and it's 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 creepy too. It's actually really creepy. I have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. My nephew is actually uh, named from this movie, Malachi. Oh shit! Was that he was like the name was chosen from the movie. Yeah, it's. I can't remember if it's spelled different, or I think I think my sister was going to spell it different, but it ends up I think being spelled the same way from the movie. Okay. But uh. Yeah, and also, um, Linda Hamilton said he really, like, hurt her in the scene where he's, like, grabbing her by the face and yelling oh, yeah. Outlander. She said he was, like, he was just so nervous he was, like, digging his fingers, like, into the side of her face. Oh, shit, made that shit believable, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, like, serious question, dude. Like, is there has there ever been, like, is there anybody our age that this movie didn't scare the shit out of when we were kids? Yeah, you would figure like evil little fucking kids, man. Why should we be scared? Like we're we were kids, like at least when I was watching it. Like, right, right. The but first then, kid, we we'd be cool. 
But then you realize, nah, unless you join the cult, you wouldn't be cool. I mean, like, you know? sure, I, yeah, I'm in the cult, guys, and, like, just make them think you're in it. Like, well, yeah, until they make you step up into a sacrifice because they realize you've been slacking the whole time, and then you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, nah, I'm out. Well, that bought me more time than if I just flat out didn't join the cult. <laughs> well, uh, well, check this out. There's something else that was different about the uh, movie to the book was uh, especially the ending. And the story, uh, both Bert and Vicky die. Vicky actually gets her eyes removed and is Ugh. sacrificed to he who, hi- he who hides behind the rose. So the, the short story is much darker and better overall, uh, but I do love the movie. I grew up on it, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's still a classic. It's always going to be a classic. Yeah, it's like some of the Stephen King movies I watched growing up that were different than the book. I still, I don't hate them because I didn't know the book before I watched them and I grew up like Shining, uh, Children of the Corn. Uh, like a lot of his works got changed here and there, but yeah, I, I loved watching like all Stephen King stuff when I was a kid growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Same. And I, I still do. I feel like the first the first one i saw was it which absolutely terrified me <laughs> the tim curry one yeah absolutely that it was either that or pet cemetery and pet cemetery creeped me out as a kid too like gage when he came back you know what scared me the most is pe- about pet cemetery i lost sleep it was one of those movies that i actually lost sleep over as a kid and you would believe it or not it wasn't zelda the sister and it wasn't gage the thing that scared me the most it, like legitimately i wouldn't watch the ending of the movie when the mom comes back um when rachel comes back home and she's all like half skeletal and like she's got the bullet wound in her head like she's all bleeding and shit you know and yeah and uh when i saw that uh not the bullet wound i'm fucking sorry her eyes bleeding that's what i meant the, the gore bleeding from her eye that scene scared the shit out of me just seeing her like, I, like every time we'd watch the movie and i would always turn away and not watch the ending yeah yeah the sister definitely haunted me for a long time as a kid yeah Zelda, I mean, that was, was rough the voice man well, where, where do you have it on your uh, Stephen King list of like just the movie adaptations? I mean, are we counting non horror too? Because that's that's, uh, that's in the horror. A oh, horror, okay. Well, I I still I would put Misery at number one. Like I, I, people say that's thriller. I mean, it's borderline. I'm gonna put it. It's definitely horror. Um, so I would I would put Misery at number one. I'd put uh, The Shining, but even though it's not really King's adaptation. Right, yeah, I get that. Uh, I, I would say, um, hmm, probably, yeah, I'd, uh, after probably three. Probably, it'd probably be uh, after uh, It. I'd be, it'd be three. I'd put It at number two, and then Pet Cemetery at number three. But I'm a big champion of uh, Sometimes They Come Back. I love that movie. You remember that movie? Yeah. Used to watch it all the time on HBO and like VHS. Yeah, we got a little out of the weeds there on Children of the Corn. <laughs> Stephen King talk, it happens. <laughs> yeah, he's got too much shit out there not to just end up talking about all of his works. Ooh, maybe there's a Stephen King episode coming up. We could. I, I, I was just thinking that that definitely could be ranking Stephen King. It could do a themed month. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't quit halfway through. But anyway, I think that'll about... Uh, wrap that up here i think it's time to get on the ppa up up ask and now it's time for puff puff ask the segment of our show where we answer questions that you the listeners write into us on social media at high on horror 420 or email at high on horror 420 at gmail.com or on the website high on horror.com uh this one comes from instagram 
I do not have a name of the person, but uh, it was the Page Fire Gas, which is obviously a weed page. Um, they reached out to us and said, hey, any chance you could recommend some must-see disturbing horror movies from 2019 through 2022? Appreciate it. Uh, I got to say that there isn't, uh, that there hasn't been a lot of disturbing films in that time span, at least in my opinion, it takes a lot to disturb me. Um, uh, it's been kind of slow in that element though, or in that area. Uh, everything nowadays tries to be disturbing, but only a few are, I would recommend incident in a ghost land and the Lords of chaos. Uh, but they're both from 2018. They're not from 2019. Sorry, but they are uh, a little underground, especially the Lords of chaos and the take will take you by surprise and are definitely, uh, uh disturbing and even brutal. Um, and more recently though, a 2019 movie that I have for you is St. Maud, and that's a slow burn that'll fuck you up. Brilliantly, brilliantly acted and just disturbing as hell. Yeah. St. Maud's a good one. I've heard nothing but good things. There haven't really been too many, like truly disturbing films that have come out in that time, time frame. Um, I like the lodge. I feel like that's a good I feel one. like it's still kind of flown under the radar and I like, no, nobody's really really picked up on it and i that was 2020 I yeah think. man it was good it was really good alicia silverstone was fucking really good in it agreed yeah she was and the, i mean the kids it's well acted and it really does fuck with your mind because it just you think you figured it out then you're like no i'm wrong then you yeah. think you figured it out and at least for me eventually it got back to no i should have stuck with the first thing i thought because i was right and the dad's new girlfriend after um you know, at least your Silverstone kills herself. The dad's new girlfriend, who is like, I don't I forget the actress's name. I'm terrible with names. If you've listened to this podcast consistently, you know that I am fucking horrible with names. Um, but that, that chick was a good actress, man. She was just batshit crazy. Like, and, yeah. but she, but oh my God, but those kids drove her to it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, at the same, like, how can you, like, you, you want to hate her, but at the same time, you're like, damn, man, she fucking tried. That's like a drug addict trying to recover from drugs and it's like somebody just dangling crack in front of their face nonstop. Like, you can't do that, man. It's always going to end badly. And it did. <laughs> and uh, another one uh, is from 2019. Uh, I fucking love this movie. I talk about it any chance I can. What is it? The Lighthouse. <laughs> Here we go. The Lighthouse again. Oh, man. I fucking love that movie. It's I mean, I would categorize that as disturbing. I, I would recommend getting baked to it as well. Yeah. I'm, I I saw it like three times in theaters. <laughs> three times. Damn. Yeah, dude. I, I think it was towards the end of my movie pass run. And that was the that was the movie that got you to like turned on that got you a little Robert Eggers chub, right? Uh yeah. Then because I never saw The Witch because you said you hated it. I still hate it. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I went and saw The Lighthouse and I'm like, damn, that was really fucking good. So I went back and watched The Witch and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I love this movie. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm looking forward to The Northman. Yeah, that looks good, man. It definitely, especially with uh, Eric Skarsgård. He's a, he's a dedicated actor. I think he's gonna do a good job, and he's a incredible physical shape for that role and uh with the lighthouse i like willem dafoe i was a little apprehensive first seeing it with uh robert pattinson but that's a movie got me to change my opinion on robert pattinson and i saw a couple other of his movies and they were fantastic like yeah after twilight the guy the guy's done good work i'm excited for uh the batman i guess well, at this point, we're recording. It's not out for another day or so, but it'll already be out by the time we release this. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah. The lighthouse. It's it's like The Shining, set in the late eighteen hundreds, 
uh, at a lighthouse. At a lighthouse, yeah, on on a rock, and Willem Dafoe just gaslighting uh, Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Dude, his acting in that movie. Oh, Willem Dafoe, he so plays good. such a crazy bastard. Like, didn't isn't there uh, stories of on set about how like Robert Pattinson was actually scared of him or something? Well, I heard that uh, the curse after he was not fond after Robert Pattinson was not fond of his lobster, and he curses <laughs> him with that long rant. Apparently, the rumor is that Willem Dafoe did it in one take. Oh damn, damn. But uh, apparently they really didn't uh, talk a lot on set. It was just... Okay. Uh, apparently they were supposed to have rain machines, but it just ended up raining for real the entire time they were, like, there. Well, at least it didn't ruin any shooting days. That, you know, rain, rainy days always, like, interrupt shooting days. And, and Willem Dafoe is such a character of, like, an old-timey sea captain. Totally. Like, they even the pointed out man. in the movie, like, yeah. he just speaks in these yarns and ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's very stubborn, and he's an asshole, and he's brash, you know? Um, but I want to say real quick about what you said about Robert Pattinson. I feel the same way about Daniel Radcliffe. Um, he did a good job, man. Everybody thought that he was going to be Harry Potter forever, and he's actually, like, done some serious things. Like, he's even playing Weird Al. And the upcoming myopic. I saw that. So it's like, you know, it's cool to see that these guys that people thought, you know, were just like, you know, heartthrobs or just, you know, people from from books for kids and they're actually doing something, you know, that true talent stands out. Kudos to those guys. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, who was clamoring for a Weird Al biopic? I'm going to see it because I love Weird Al. <laughs> but who but was I'm, clamoring for it? I did not it? think that would ever be a thing that got made by Hollywood. <laughs> right. I know. It's crazy. I don't know, man. I, I hope it's funny. I don't know, are they going to make it like a dark drama, or is it going to be like hilarious? I hope it's hilarious. Yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, anyway, I'll get on to our second question here from Jerome from Coweta, Oklahoma. And I uh, wanted to know what are some of our favorite horrible collectors collectibles that we own. I'll go first here, because I don't have nearly the amount of stuff you have. I've only really recently got in into collecting I know stuff what you're and, say, and going to cons it's either got to be the halloween one that i got signed by james jude courtney the, like the, like the, the tin Castle. poster right yeah and uh james james jude courtney was a big fan of it too because mm -hmm. he had never seen it but it was uh it was just a off amazon it's a poster from it was for a promotion for the alamo draft house for an anniversary of halloween that and i would say probably my Friday the 13th, Camp Crystal Lake, like, like plastic sign that I have. Uh, Kane Hodder and C I think CJ Graham. I think that's all I have on there. I, w I knew you were going to bring up the Friday the, the Camp Crystal Lake sign because that thing is badass. But as for funniest things, I have written on something. It has to be my Chucky figure. <laughs> I got, I got uh, uh, from Child's Play 2, I got uh, Brad Dourif to write Goddamn Women Drivers. <laughs> I didn't think he would write it. I asked him and he just went, sure. And just like wrote it. And I got uh, Christina Lee, who played Kyle to write. They taste like shit. Okay. <laughs> to which she went over to uh, Alex Vincent to tell him that's the first time she's ever been asked to write that on anything. I remember that. She like I asked her and she was like, yeah. nobody's ever asked me to write this. And I was like, Hey, you know, the whole cigarette thing. Like the, that's the first thing I think of when I think of her character is like the laundry scene. And she tells Andy to hold the cigarette. Yeah. I remember her leaning over to Alex Vincent and saying that she's like, I just, uh, 
I just, you know, signed, you know, like these taste like shit, you know? And, yeah, and she he, was like, nobody's ever asked me to write that. He didn't seem too interested. He kind of just <laughs> gave her the eyebrow raise, like, mm, that's interesting. He was thinking about that Jersey 33 later. Right? <laughs> 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 Jersey 33. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I have a bunch of stuff, but I'm not going to sit here and list things off and try to brag or anything. So. I don't think we have enough um, time. No. Just, uh, I honestly, right now, it's it's got to be. I have the Judith Myers. I have a problem. Uh, uh, I figured that was going to be number one. If yeah. I had that, that would be my number one. I think fucking badass. We're, we're, we're looking at it right now in the corner of the room. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I have a prop replica of Judith Myers's tombstone from the original Halloween. And I have it autographed by five cast members. It's uh, Nick Castle, the, the shape, Will Sandin, who played age six Michael, uh, Sandy Johnson, who played Judith, um, or. Uh, Mickey Yablons, there we go, who played, uh, fuck, who the fuck, Richie, yeah. right? And uh, and then I have, of course, PJ Souls. That was from the most recent one. We, 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 we met her together when you got that signed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that would be my favorite is that, the tombstone because that's one of those things where I hope it's with me forever and I hope it's buried with me. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame you. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Could you imagine if we, like, when we get high on horror at its own studio... And we set our shit up. We'll have a fucking autographed Camp Crystal Lake sign and a Judith Myers tombstone. That's pretty awesome. Me? That's a that that setup's gonna happen. It's gonna be right fucking behind us too. All right. Well, uh, uh, don't forget to write in your questions to us on all social media platforms at High on Horror four twenty or email us at highonhorror420 at gmail.com or visit our website at highonhorror.com and reach out to us there. Now let's talk about the ten best or craziest things that have happened around the medical field. Death Rx is what we're here to talk about. Doctors, mad surgeons, nurses, killer babies, the works. This is our top 10 list of the best movies that involve or showcase the medical field in one way or another in a horrific way. Starting off with number 10 here from 1990, Frankenhooker. I mean, I think this could have even been eligible for our Love Gone Wrong episode. Yeah. Uh, Frankenhooker is the story of Jeffrey Franken, a scientist who buys an automatic lawnmower as a gift for his fiancée, Elizabeth Shelley. That same automatic lawnmower ends up killing Elizabeth, and he uses his knowledge of circuits to rebuild his fiancée. His plan, though, to get body parts... He's going to harvest them from New York City prostitutes. <laughs> uh, knowledge, Doug, for you listeners out there. It took actress Patty Mullen three hours a day to get into the Frankenhooker makeup. Also, in the opening of the film, that's director Frank Henenlotter's hand you see drawing all over the body layout. This is like my favorite Henenlotter film, bro. And if you're thinking, I shouldn't see this, you, Bill fucking Murray... In 1990, said if you see one movie this year, it should be Frankenhooker. <laughs> Apparently, he was a big fan, and they wanted to get his endorsement for it. And uh, uh, the director was worried that they would abuse Murray's friendliness. And then uh, eventually, they met up, and that was the quote he gave uh, in favor of the movie. That's awesome, man. Yeah, like I said, uh, Frankenhooker is my favorite Hen and Lauder film. I like most of his movies. Uh, 
uh, th- but Frankenhooker is just nothing but fun. It's a feel good movie, man. Like you, just, it's just one of those ones that that you just put on just as a background movie, or you could put it on to actually just sit down and relax to it, or watch it with Joe Bob co- doing commentary. <laughs> it's on not it. a mind bender. No, it's not. But it is very fun and it's hilarious and it's easy going and it's funny because Frank Henenlotter said that he never approached this movie as a horror film. He always approached it as a comedy. And I mean, it's 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 a pretty funny way to look at it because I never would have thought that there wasn't the intent of a horror movie behind it, but. It definitely works. I mean, our boy Gabe Bartalos did all the effects. You know, listen to our Skin Deep episode if you want to hear more from him. Yeah, Frankenhooker is just an easy one to put on. And like you said, just something you can even throw in on the background. And uh, his uh, fiance is happy at first she's brought back, but then uh, is not happy when she finds out how she was brought back. Just like Frankenstein, just not happy to be back, <laughs> especially to look like shit. And then uh, the spare hooker parts. How about that? <laughs> they all come together when, when, like, yeah they're, when there's all the little the separated the severed limbs and they're still trying to fucking hit the crack pipe <laughs> <laughs> yeah i forgot about super crack in this movie yeah, I, forgot, I forgot all about that i don't know i forgot to mention that but yeah super crack's a real problem in new york city <laughs> yeah, at least it was back at the time of this movie being made that's for sure i think super crack's the same thing it got rick james oh bird <laughs> <laughs> all right now let's get into our number nine film at number nine, we have American Mary from 2012. American Mary is a Canadian horror and is the Soska sisters, Jen and Sylvia Soska. It is their masterpiece. Uh, it's the film that got them recognized, and it started with Eli Roth. Uh, it started with Eli Roth telling them basically, you know, make a script about a medical student. And they did, and it worked. It's about uh, the story is about a character named Mary Mason, played by genre favorite Catherine Isabel from the Ginger Snaps uh, series. Uh, and and uh, Mary is struggling. Uh, she's a struggling medical student who gets lured into performing body modification surgeries on the black market for money to survive. Eventually, she uses her skills and torture. Her skills, I'm sorry, she uses her skills to torture people who wronged her and use her skills for the wrong reasons and the wrong things. And from there, shit spirals out of control. It's a solid movie and a great ending. Check it out. Uh, the song Ava Maria is played three times throughout the movie with increasing levels of skill. An amateur at the very beginning when Mary's a student, intermediate, and then professional recordings uh, later as Mary's skills improve. And the increasing complexity of the song also marries, uh, mirrors Mary's development as a surgeon. Dude, this movie, uh, whenever, like, body stuff, sometimes I'm, body horror is just not for me. Like, I mean, the modifications, especially <laughs> the stuff that Ruby wants done to her, yeah, like having yeah. her vulvas, like, st- partially stutured shut, yep, like, yep. Uh, that stuff was rough. Yeah, and uh, the whole, like, making somebody look like Betty Boop, it's, uh, it's basically, it's art. The movie's about, you know, expression of who you are. It's about, you know, like, just cutting free, and if you want to make yourself look like the Cheetah Woman or Betty Boop or whatever the, <laughs> the fuck. The cheetah woman. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, uh basically Mary would do it for a price and uh that's where she finds her niche and uh she, yeah. she's good at what she does. She is good at what she does, but again, when you get involved in that black market and that dark that back alley shit, you know, there always come shady things and uh yeah, like I said in the synopsis, she uh she uses her skills to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to torture some dude that did something wrong to me." And uh, from there, it, like you know, it gets a cop in, cop involved, and it, it's definitely a story about someone who started off just trying to make it make the. She, remember, she's getting uh, calls from the school that like her her payment didn't go through. Like she's yeah. just trying to make it, and she finds a way. Hey, 
you know, let's that's let's one way you know, to pay. That's one way to pay the student loans, I guess. Right. I will pay to basically, you know, make. I will pay to help do body modification, and uh, she goes against what her teachers are telling her to do, and kind of just you know takes over and does her own little side hustle. Yeah, Catherine Isabella does a great job in that. I, I mean, she's done other stuff. She's been labeled as a scream queen. The fucking Ginger Snaps movies. I think she did all of them. I think. Yeah, she was. She wasn't all of them. Yep. She was in a brief. Uh, in Ginger Snaps too, she was in a. She was in like a brief. She's in a briefly in like a little flashback. She's kind of Harry. Harry to Dexter in that in that film. Yeah, and uh, apparently she almost in two thousand three she almost died from a viral infection. Oh, no kidding. Apparently it wasn't revealed until 2020. She, uh, had a collapse, had a lung collapse, kidney failure. She fell into a coma and had to be treated with a ventilator. And apparently she kept that from everybody until 2020. And she posted that on her Instagram. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, pretty rough. I don't know what exactly happened. But. Yeah. And, and let's not forget either though, that she was in Freddy versus Jason. And it's, it's pretty funny because, uh, I won't bring up, uh, I won't bring up um, who my buddy is out there. Who's listening to this. I won't bring his name up, but my buddy, you know, we we're talking about, you know, Freddie versus Jason. He randomly just goes, man, fuck that movie. And I'm like, what? You're one of the haters of Freddie versus Jason. He goes, nah, man. He's like, man, Catherine Isabel had a body step, but a body double step in and that ain't her titties. It shows in the shower. And I was like, so, so you hate the movie because you didn't get a glimpse of Catherine Isabel's boobs. I mean, I guess there's people who hate I movies mean, for worse I didn't reasons. Know that. You shatter my dreams too <laughs> oops <laughs> that should have been a knowledge nug knowledge nug. yeah knowledge nug for me <laughs> that is not Catherine isabel's boobies <laughs> uh i think now we can move on to number nine or number eight <laughs> damn i'm too high all right number eight this number eight right correct okay number eight is from 2016 autopsy of jane doe jane doe Jane Doe. <laughs> <laughs> the movie stars Brian Cox and Amelia Hirsch as father and son coroners Tommy and Austin Tilden, who experience supernatural phenomena while performing an autopsy on an unnamed woman. Um, I have to say, it's, this is one of those movies you really can't talk a lot, of, almost kind of like uh, The Ring in a way where anything you talk about, you're just giving spoilers as you're going. Agreed. And it's still like such an underground movie. You don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it. So it's very, it's walking on eggshells. And I mean, I'm, I'm fans. I really like Brian Cox. I think he's one of the like most underrated character actors. That guy can do, he can Agreed. do horror. He can do comedy. He can, he, he can does do, that he can do with conviction. With conviction. He's believable. Like he's doing this, but then he's also the fucking, uh, chief and super troopers yeah exactly that's what or I'm saying. he's or, the bus driver in trick-or-treat like the guy he's just a great actor I or think he's, he's striker in x-men playing you know in the comic book movies in x-men 2 he's fucking striker and he does a great job and he steals the show he steals the fucking show in that movie um here's a knowledge nug uh okay so director andre Avradal, i hope i'm saying that correct he cast uh olwen Catherine kelly as jane doe because of her yoga uh she did a yoga and had like a ability to control her breathing and body so he cast her as the uh move as he cast her as jane doe and he also said that uh that she had the most difficult role due to like laying there naked the whole film but she made everybody comfortable on set to work with <laughs> and uh, it was also his first english language film as well correct right but uh, also, yeah, I was going to say Amelia Hirsch is a great actor, too. He is. The, the first thing I saw him in was uh, Into the Wild, which I think is an underrated movie. I just saw that like a month ago, man. It's really, really? good. It's I, really I, good. I saw it. It was one that I saw a trailer for, and I was really interested, and then I read the story. 
about the actual that's based on a true story. Uh, but yeah, I thought the movie did real well. Yeah, um, well, uh, Stephen King actually is a big fan of the autopsy of Jane Doe. He said it scared the shit out of him. And I do recommend, this is one of those movies that you need to watch with the fucking lights out. It scared the shit out of my wife and I when we first saw it. It, it definitely it creeps under your skin slowly. It's a slow burn, but it gets under your goddamn skin. Watch it with the lights out, for real. And get, and get, and get some surround sound. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, enough about talking about Jane Doe. Let's get into our number Jane seven. Jane Doe. <laughs> Number seven on our Death RX list is one that all of you have heard of and have probably seen a thousand times over, 1985's Reanimator. Fuck yeah. In Stuart Gordon's masterpiece, based on the H.P. Lovecraft story, Herbert West's Reanimator, uh, Reanimator, we see a young medical student, Herbert West, invent a serum called Reagent that can bring the dead back to life. Except they come back wrong, Pet cemetery style, but more funny and gory. It stars Jeffrey Combs and the lovely Barbara Crampton. Nothing to not like about this movie. This movie's a fucking 10. I gave him life. <laughs> uh, yeah, a uh, little knowledge nug here. The first man who is reanimated at the morgue who goes on to kill the Dean is Peter Kent. And he was Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double on 14 films from The Terminator in 1984 to Jingle All the Way in 1996. Yeah, that motherfucker swole. <laughs> I mean, he gotta be if he playing Schwarzenegger. I want to know how much he made for like all these movies, just like playing his stunt double. I mean, that's a pretty good run of movies, though. Just, yeah, that was a Terminator and Reanimator. I mean, good choices. Predators in there. Yeah. True Lies. Yeah, I mean, but what can we say about Reanimator that hasn't already been said, though? I mean, it's perfectly. We acted. talked about it on horror history. It's not even too long. Like, you can't even say the movie's yeah, bad, fast-paced. Yeah, it's only 80, 86 or, minutes. Yeah, you can't say it's slow-paced or it takes longer. It drags. It's, it's right to the point. It's just funny, gore, funny, gore. It's like, I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, trust me, if you're one of those people listening and you're like, hmm, here comes another thing that I've heard about Reanimator, mm-hmm, Reanimator again, and you haven't actually seen Reanimator, you need to trust that people aren't just talking this movie up because it's popular. It's fucking good. Like, you need to go watch this movie. Like, I consider this to be an essential. Whenever, like, a, a lifelong horror fan comes to me and they're like yeah i just watched reanimator for the first time i'm always like what because like to me that was kind of like the basics like that's like kind of like where you start like that's that's a that's a forefather of like the gore and like the fun and the 80s horror you know and like so like at least in, like, that's that's the measuring stick i'll put it that Damn, way that's just the measuring stick. next time i didn't see this one till like 2014 oh i didn't know that no yeah. i wasn't at you <laughs> i was not at you not at all not at all uh back back uh, i know your history though i know you watch your shit i don't i don't hold nothing against you i feel you in the apartment you're too busy watching gianna michaels i mean yes i still gianna open invitation come on on anyway sorry come on on that's i don't think that's right english anyway it was back on your couch with that little ass tv in yes. the man cave at the apartment uh, yeah, it, it, yeah that was yep. the first time i, wa I watched it uh, but yeah, Jeffrey Combs fucking makes that movie. Man, you gotta fucking take a shot of my little TV. I was broke. <laughs> I'm, no, I mean, you had the bigger TV in the living room, but you had that little tiny TV in the man cave. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about reanimator. I don't even know what horror history it was. Uh, <laughs> whatever was the week of October 18th. So go back to that episode. You figure it out. <laughs> I think it's time to move on to the next one on our list. What the fuck we at? I'm too high to count. Number seven, six. This would be six. Six. Number num six on oh, Death RX. Man, hard. <laughs> All right, at number six, and I got to give Drew credit. I didn't, It to this one totally makes sense, but when we were compiling the list, it just, 
it went past me and I didn't I didn't even think about it, but it totally makes sense. Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three: The Dream Warriors from oh, 1987. Yeah. After we had the uh, the what have you of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, we're bringing back Nancy and reuniting her with Freddy. This time, Nancy's got some new friends. She is an in, she's an intern therapist at Weston Hill Psychiatric Hospital, and she introduces her new group of friends to the idea of uh, group hip- hypnosis to fight Freddy. I mean, uh, the deaths in this movie are incredible. Let's get hot. Best ones in the series. Which is Let's Get High your favorite, or is it Welcome to Prime Time? Oh, I mean, it's so cliche, but Welcome to Prime Time, bitch. You know how many times I just say that in general? Let's hold on. Let's (laughs) do something different. There's no reason I should, but I've said it to Nicole a lot. I mean, it's a great line. It works perfect, and but but let's separate it from the let's separate the language or what's being spoken from the kill. What's a better kill? The needles from Let's Get High, or the smashing somebody's head into a tv i mean coming out of the tv and smashing their head into the tv i'd have to go with that man nah let's needles i guess i guess i guess the thing you hated most about saw 2 was the needle pit huh yeah it was rough you you and kenny that one didn't bother me that much (laughs) i mean it bothered me think about but like that chick it looked like dawn dawn marie from wwe had her hands (laughs) in those like where yeah, like yeah, yeah. Pulled, I thought the, that the was way box worse. With the razors, you know, that like I could pull the me. needles out, dog. I'm good. I was fine. <laughs> no, that, yeah, I didn't care for that. But uh, the, the the whole like glass box with her arms in it, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, anyway, me. Anyway, Dream um, Warriors. Yeah, this is my favorite. It's always Second. been my favorite of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and it always will be. It elevated the series to a height that it never reached again, in my opinion, and it ranks up there as one of the greatest slasher films of all time. Fight me. Knowledge Nug here. The only film out of the first six to not start with a dream sequence. Did not think about that, but that is that is true. So uh, where does it rank for you? In the series, we, we, we've talked about We've talked it. about this, but to our listeners who might have never listened. I what? mean, I don't know if it would be a waste to do a Freddy episode at this point ranking the series, since people know our favorites, but I it's, it's second for me behind uh, New New Nightmare. Okay, so so okay, so totally. So it's number one for me, and it's number two for you. So yeah, it's funny because like there are people that are like, I don't like this Freddy, you know, and it's like it's because like that's when he kind of started the perfect to really be mix. funny. Agreed. It's the perfect mix of the one-liners. It feels like two. I know people like it. I I don't. It's I'm, I'll still watch it because it's Freddy, but like I feel like three was the culmination of we learned this doesn't work. We learned this does work. And everything just meshed. Agreed. And, and then I feel like you you had the same thing with um, a new a new a new nightmare. Yeah, a new nightmare. Yeah, I agreed. It was it was a culmination of things. Well, the thing is, like, uh, is that Dream Warriors? Though you had mentioned how like you didn't like think of this, and my wife was the one that actually gave me the idea, which surprised me. But it, it's because the whole movie takes place in like a mental hospital, like a psych ward. So. It's totally crazy when you think about it that this is this movie takes place in a total in a hospital. Like you said, I don't think a lot of people put that together. At least this was populated. Right, exactly. It wasn't some vacant for some reason deserted hospital like like where, maybe where, where was maybe the at? most no. accurate portrayal of a hospital in a horror movie. Pa- pa- potentially, I mean, like again, real quick, where were even the, though where, it was a mental hospital, where were like the staff in Scream Five in that hospital scene when David yeah, Arquette talked died? About this. Uh, yeah, anyway, go back and listen to the Scream episode. Uh, anyway, yeah, that. so this so this hospital 
hospital is actually populated. It's done in a realistic sense where there's a real staff. You know, everybody has their own issues. Everybody's sharing rooms together. Some people are addicts. Some people are suicidal. Uh, it's it's a total, totally, totally perfect fit for Death RX because there's more than one reference here. It's not just a doctor death or just a doctor killing someone. Like literally, it's it's Freddy fucking becoming a nurse and tying people to beds with tongues. And uh, you know, it's it's this. It, there, there's so much about like just. Meta, about the medical field and doctors and everything in this movie. I mean, even the fucking nurse is trying to, trying to get the uh, the one broad high. You know, offering her offering her drugs <laughs> yeah. and shit. It's like you know, there's, you know, you got crooked nurses, you got evil, you know, bitch nurses, you got doctors trying to help people, you got the returning Nancy, you got people uh, dreaming and taking fucking pharmaceuticals that aren't approved by the FDA. I mean, how is it not Death RX? And uh, is Kincaid? The next best character after Nancy, like, I really enjoy Kincaid. Dude, he's Kincaid, so ridic- yes, yes, absolutely, I love Kincaid. He's so ridiculous, but I don't mind it. Dude, Ken Sigos plays that character, too. I was so sad when he died in part kick four. kick Freddy's ass! Dude, uh, <laughs> no, my, whole, my favorite thing is when they're looking for Freddy, he goes, Kruger! Pussy! He's, like, he, this man is not, he's like, he's like the, he's like the, uh, he's like Hulk Hogan, you know, like, he's just like the Hulk Hogan that will take on Freddy, I, I love but that then guy. He's, but then he realizes he can't really take on Freddy. I, everybody, unfortunately, realizes that. Except my girl, Nancy. All right, well, uh, now let's get into our number five on our Death Rx list. At number five, we have Dead Ringers from 1988. Now, this movie is dead fucking serious. Uh, and this is my favorite Cronenberg film. Was the Cronenberg dead on film. purpose? <laughs> no, but it works. Uh, yeah, this is my absolute favorite Cronenberg film. In my opinion, this is honestly, truthfully, not just me being a fanboy or a fan of Cronenberg. I truly consider Dead Ringers to be one of the greatest movies of all time it is absolutely brilliant and twisted in the best david cronenberg way where it's not too twisted it's just done in such a professional way it stays on track in a grounded way but definitely it's twisted you know and uh and it's expertly acted by jeremy irons who plays the twins elliot and beverly mantle they're both very successful and professional gynecologists or gynecologists, as I like to call them. Um, but, uh, That's ridiculous. Beverly is more uh, more effeminate, as where Elliot is the womanizer of the two of, of the two brothers, and uh, he'll sleep with patients and then pass them off to Beverly. They kind of share girls without the girls knowing. You know, well, one day one of Elliot's sloppy seconds, Claire, takes a liking to Beverly and Beverly to her, and this leads to a downward spiral of heartbreak and drug abuse. You literally see the brothers mirror themselves. One gets the other one off drugs, but then in doing so, he becomes addicted, so they switch positions. I mean, you could write a thesis on this movie. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, even some, you know, crude, uh, eventually some crude, made-up gynecology tools are used and nearly kill a woman, making them lose their medical license. You watch the rise and fall of these brothers, and it's absolutely heartbreaking and disturbing and twisted, the ending to this movie just kicked me in the nuts the first time I saw it. It's so sick and tragic. And uh, knowledge snug for you here. Uh, actor, da- or, sorry, director David Cronenberg played a gynecologist himself as an actor in a previous film, The Fly, one of his own, from 1986. Robert De Niro was actually offered the role, but he turned it down because he felt uncomfortable playing a gynecologist. Strange. Yeah, that's... Uh, of all the roles he's played, he'll play Max Katie from Cape Fear, but... Yeah, you know. but gynecologist, uh, I can't do that. Uh, I don't know. De Niro's a weird guy. Yeah, he is. He is, man. 
Where would you uh would you rank this amongst Cronenberg's best films? Yeah, but you you already know what I'm gonna say is my uh, favorite. That I mean, yeah, I I I agree. Like we have that whole thing though where it's like favorite versus best, and like my favorite Cronenberg film. But this, like I said, this I think this is a great one of the greatest movies of all time, and it is my favorite. It's Cronenberg listed film. as uh, one of uh, I forget who. Yeah, it's listed as one of the top ten Canadian films of all time. Yeah, man, this movie is no joke, you know. And I too, I love Videodrome, and I'll give you the, I'll give it to you. Like I understand why Videodrome is your favorite, and to me, I'll even give you, I'll even throw you the bone of saying that Videodrome has more rewatchability. I will rewatch Videodrome probably four or five times before I revisit Dead Ringers, because Dead Ringers is just so much more. It's not as trippy and fun. It's or even grotesque. It's more just like heavy. It's like watching like Sling Blade. You know, it's watching you're watching something where you're just like, God damn, like I really need a break from that now. Yeah, I actually looked up on the list here. It's uh, listed as seventh from 2015. Oh, wow. The other films in front of it I've never heard of. <laughs> Going Down the Road from 1970. I'm going to mispronounce this because I don't speak French. Leolo from 1992. Jesus of Montreal from 1989. The Sweet Hereafter from 1997. Mon Uncle Antoine from 1971, and I don't even know how to pronounce this. Adder Adderdenjet, the Fast Runner from 2001. I you said that shit wrong, bro. That. I don't know. But I don't never heard of any of those other movies. No, and I guarantee you, based on the sound of them, they all sound like feel good movies. Whereas I guarantee the you, Fast Runner. I don't, what is that? I guarantee you, the uh, the Dead Ringers is like the most twisted and like like just like un. It doesn't fit in amongst those. They all sound like feel good movies. Oh, it's because that top one is an Inuit film. It's made oh. by an Inuit filmmaker. So. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, uh, I mean Cronenberg really can't do anything wrong, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Now let's get to number four. Number four, Eyes Without a Face from 1960. The story revolves around plastic surgery John Redon, who wants to perform a face transplant on his daughter who was disfigured in an accident that was his fault. It's a timeless story about obsession and guilt, and even though the film was passed by censors in Europe, it was still controversial nonetheless. It's another film, again, from the French who don't fuck around in the <laughs> fucking horror films they make. And uh, actually, the first face transplant would actually end up taking place 50 years after the release of this film in 2010. Oh, no shit. Damn. Way ahead of its time. Uh, well, here's a knowledge nugget for you, uh, for all you Halloween fans out there. John Carpenter has said that the look for the Michael Myers mask was inspired by the expressionless mask worn by Edith in this film. I don't... <sighs> See, that's another one of these Halloween facts that I go, that makes sense. But then why do all these controversial stories involve Tommy Lee Wallace? Because now I'm thinking they asked Tommy Lee Wallace how it happened. And he's just saying they randomly picked out a mask and he just spray painted it white. Like it was just a random process. But now Carpenter's saying that that was inspired from that. Maybe so. Carpenter threw a line to him. Like maybe it looked like the eyes without a face mask. Or maybe once Tommy Lee Wallace maybe, did I, it, Carpenter, I guess maybe. Carpenter could have been like, oh, that kind of reminds me of, you That's know, fair. You know uh, Edith's but mask. I feel like every like story that. that we go, did that happen? It always involves Tommy Lee Wallace. I, and it's because the movie is so, you know, it's like over 40 years old and everybody's I'm sure like somebody misremembered something. Yeah, and everybody has, and remember there's two sides to every story and when you're talking to the whole cast, it's like, well, there's 10 sides to every story okay. or however many people there are. But uh, but yeah, this is, uh, Eyes Without a Face is my favorite black and white film of all time. Uh, it's it's proof that there can be beauty in horror. This movie is so beautiful, uh, and it, but it is so sad and horrific. 
um, Christiane is a is a victim and is constantly let down by false hope. Um, so much so that by the end, uh, she literally just lets the dogs out and wanders off to certain death. Uh, she gives up and finds the beauty in dying and quitting after she's been put through so much. You know, just constant uh, promises of here, I have a new face for you. You know, I, I and you know, he's and then the dad, you know, here he, the, the surgeon, he's killing these women, pick a killing women on the side of the road, and or not a killing them, but abducting them and then bringing them home. And then taking their faces off and putting them on his daughter to try to fix his mistake and, and damaging her face. And she can't take watching these other people's lives being ruined anymore. And she can't take, you know, the one time the test does work, her flesh starts rotting after like two weeks. So it was all hope for nothing. You know, she got to talk to Leatherface and get that, get that skincare the skin regimen. lotion. Yeah. That skin lotion that he, he's representing. But, um, yeah, she can't stomach, you know, to watch her dad take more faces from innocent people. Her existence becomes a burden to herself. And, uh, she seeks release. It's so goddamn sad and it's touching, but it's also, like I said, got some very horrific scenes. The gore in this movie surprised me the first time I saw it. Like there's blood. There's a lot of blood, like during, especially during the surgery scene, uh, at least one of these scenes. Uh, and if you haven't seen this, I implore you, please watch it, please. I was going to say, you were saying favorite black and white <clears throat> film. Uh, and at first I was thinking like Nosferatu, but I'm like, does that really count? That was like sepia. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, does that even count as like black and white? Yeah, that doesn't even, you're not even going to count that. Like, I, like what's your favorite? Why is Nosferatu on your favorite black and white list? Well, happy 100 since we did miss the anniversary of it. Right. But they actually the recording right now. It's the hundredth anniversary. Yeah, just you know, just just yeah, that's not my favorite black and white movie because that's actually sepia. That's something, something <laughs> some some arrogant fucking. See, it must sound like real hipster about it. Yeah, that's what oh, I was gonna if say. If you look yeah. at the film, it's not technically the black and white that we would know. Yeah, technically, this is the new what we call sepia tone. It's a whole <laughs> new genre that say, you oldies haven't heard of because you know nothing about cinema. Because we have get the on my level. We have the internet, and you didn't. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> I was gonna say, well, if I can't count that, does Clerks count or is not? <laughs> <laughs> those clerks count it's black and white yeah i mean technically we're not saying black and white horror or black and white like old it's just black and white yeah clerks it's count. black and white yeah but uh no it's definitely one of the better ones but probably when i think black and white in my favorite film just off the top of my head i think bride of frankenstein that's yeah that's amazing my i would say actually my two favorite after eyes without a face is a night of the hunter um that's that's another that's good, good one. one but yeah bride of frankenstein's fucking right there too all right. Well, I think it's time to get on to number three. Three. All right. We're down to the last three. And uh, here we go. At number three, we have 2021's Halloween Kills. Michael Myers escapes Laurie's trap, not after getting a little crispy first. Are we surprised? And he uh, wreaks his havoc on Haddonfield yet again. This time, the whole town of Haddonfield riles together to stop evil dead in its tracks. Evil dies tonight. Nope. Good try, though. If you want to know more about the movie, go listen to our review. Uh, but the reason that Halloween Kills is on our list is because of the character Marcus, who is dressed as a doctor. Uh, obviously, he's, he's a nurse in the he's film. He's a nurse, but he's a, he's a doctor. He's a nurse, but he's a doctor. Yeah, and that's his, right. his uh, wife is a doctor, but a nurse. Correct. But a nurse, but as a doctor. Kind of the way that they played uh, that um, 
Cameron and Allison played uh, Bonnie and Bonnie and Clyde yeah. in the first film, but switched. It kind of got a doctor and nurse switch off there. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting connection. I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, I just put that together right now. Who knows? Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so the character Marcus, played by today's guest uh, Michael Smallwood, he's not a real doctor. He's a nurse, but he's dressed as a doctor, and his death is horrid. So that absolutely counts. Best killer. One the of movie. the most memorable. Yes, we got to count it immediately when you bring up doctor deaths. As of recent, when I th- when immediately when I thought of this list and I thought doctor deaths, I thought I thought, oh shit, that knife through like right under the eye, man. That's that's you know, real doctor or not doesn't matter. That shit is that's a good kill. And uh, this is actually the third film to show uh, Michael burnt by fire. By the way, the first was Halloween two, and the second was Resurrection. So I mean, he could fill in for Freddy. He could take the fire element him against Jason. Basically, I mean, he can survive fire. Yeah. But I'm knowledge snug, and I got a long one. It's uh, another Halloween that had a hospital in it. The Halloween Kills novelization by Tim Wagoner reveals that Tommy Doyle has a Colt of Thorn tattoo, just like Halloween 6's Michael Myers. Wagoner writes, Tommy in some ways was the worst of them, including Lori. Ever since the night that Lori saved him and Lindsay from Michael, he'd had difficulty controlling his anger. He had a hair-trigger temper and was quick to take offense at any perceived slight, no matter how mild. And he could get irritable, impatient, and impulsive. He got into a lot of fights in high school and even more after he graduated. He drifted from job to job, unable to hold on to one for any length of time without blowing his top at someone, usually his boss, or taking a swing at him. He'd gone through a series of relationships that never lasted long either. No one wanted to be the partner of someone with such a volatile emotional state. Tommy had been in therapy on and off in his late 20s, and while he picked up a lot of psychological tools to help him with his anger, it was by no means fully under control. He was so obsessed with Michael and all things Halloween, he'd gotten a tattoo of the Thorn of Rune on his left arm, and when he was anxious, he would rub his hand over it subconsciously. That's really weird. (laughs) Why did that guy feel the need to put that in there? Why did you have to bring the Thorn? Nobody wants to curse a Thorn. I, I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there that, for some reason, love those movies. Whatever. <laughs> you enjoy them. But the majority of us, why the fuck do you need to put that in there? There's no reason for that to be in there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. That That's just absolutely ridiculous. And but, uh, you don't think about Halloween 6, but we did have a, a lot of medical people die. We did. That's that's very true. And uh, also, I was going to say, though, but besides Marcus's death, which was like the real, like that death has to make it on this list because it's memorable, it's recent, it's brutal. The the Halloween doctor and the actual doctor both died and an actual nurse died. That's what I was going to say. Correct. And, uh, you know, let's not forget that like a bulk of the whole movie takes place in a hospital. Laurie Strode and... uh, uh, Officer Hawkins are in a hospital the whole time, you know, and then so so there's that element as to how it can make the Death RX list because you got two fatally injured people from facing Michael Myers, and then you have uh, Vanessa Marcus's wife played by uh, Carmela McNeil, and she just dies one of the like her death. Uh, she just she basically she just Michael just makes a bullet just ricochet off the door <laughs> and just blows her brains out. Like yeah, she that yeah. was that was that's that's you fucked up. yeah so uh halloween kills definitely makes it on the list which makes me wonder hmm are there any other halloween movies that are going to make it on this list john possibly Hmm. but let's get on to number two all right at number two halloween two from 1981 (gasps) shocker uh michael and Lori take it to the hospital like nick diaz and joe riggs after ufc 57 (laughs) except this time nobody ended up shitting themselves (laughs) 
Uh, if you haven't heard about that story and you like MMA, go 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 look it up on YouTube. Uh, we pick right up after the night of the original uh, Halloween, and we get more of the night he came home. I mean, it's on the poster. Michael knifes his way through the smallest staffed hospital in history, it feels like. And as short-staffed as it is, two of the co-workers who work at the hospital are over out fucking in the hot tub, so that leaves even <laughs> more people to watch over this hospital. There's, like, one woman responsible for all the newborn babies in this hospital. It's <laughs> fucking very ridiculous. True. Very true. And then, she, her idea is, I'm going to go fuck one of the paramedic guys. And what we'll do is, he says, just leave the door cracked. We can hear it. They cry. And she's like, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> uh, I still want to know how, uh, how how she didn't realize that his fingers tasted like motor oil and ass. I know. Bro, I remember as a kid, like, even as a kid, I was like, yo, his hands so filthy. They're dirty looking, like, like mechanic hands. You know? like, but, he was, like, tilling dirt with his hands. <laughs> well, this was actually supposed to be the Why death is his of, hands uh, dirty? What was, what was really dirty? I'm trying to, like, Well, think. I mean, he hasn't showered since the night before. He didn't fall off a balcony, got shot a couple times. I, I mean, mean, yeah, I guess he could got his hands, like, with, with some dirt when he was getting up. But. Yeah, yeah, you know, but, uh, this, but, but also, let's talk about, this was supposed to be, uh, Michael and Loomis's last dance. They <laughs> yeah. were both supposed to die in this movie. There wasn't supposed to be anymore. Loomis was supposed to be bye-bye. Um, but uh, here's a knowledge nugget for you out there. Although uh, Halloween 2 was not a su- was not successful, uh, it was not as successful at the box office as the original, but it still outgrossed its competition in 1981. It outgrossed The Howling, Friday the 13th Part 2, and The Final Conflict, the Omen film. And I'd say that I agree that it should have been outgrossed those because it's the best of them. Maybe Friday Part Two, but I would still. I'd still watch Halloween. I'd still watch Halloween, Halloween too. too. Yeah. Because I mean, anytime, like as much as we love Friday the Thirteenth, what's the story? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah. And and uh, okay. So wait. So what's? The, let me ask you real quick though. What's your favorite death in Halloween Two? Mine's the hammer to the security guard's head. That 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 the claw head. Poop. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure <clears throat> when we talked with Ian, I mentioned that. That was one of my favorite in the entire series, or it's up there. So, yeah, that that's a good one. I, that and when uh, the other one when, when she gets drowned in the like hot bong water. <laughs> hot bong water, dude, dude. Did you hear about like that? I don't know if you ever read like the behind the scenes thing about that tub. That woman like ended up getting an infection because I don't know why they didn't clean it out. Yeah, you said that on and our. And she kept uh, getting her episode. face dunked, so like she ended up getting an infection. She got like pink eye or something. Yeah, from the shit, right. Yeah, yeah, and it was like cold or something. Yeah, yeah, the water was actually cold or whatever. I would have preferred it to just be warm. I mean, yeah, and I would have preferred like why the fuck? Why can't you clean this out? You can fill it with water, but you can't clean it out. <laughs> So all I'm saying to all you ladies out there and guys, whoever, if no fucking hot tub, she's gonna die. If you have, if you're, if you're, you know, if your significant other or your partner leaves the room for a minute and then comes back and they come up behind you and you just you know, oh, it's them, I know it's them, and you, know, you feel it's them, and they put their hand on you and you start licking or sucking on their fingers, please acknowledge it's okay if it is them. If their fingers taste like ass and motor oil, call them the <laughs> fuck out. If that, if this nurse had called Michael out and be like, why the fuck do your hands taste like ass? She'd have been like, oh shit, that's Michael Myers, but she didn't. She kind of, I feel like she had to have known that they tasted like, you can tell they taste like ass. Like, watch the movie. And I just feel that uh, she could have, if she was honest, it'd just been like, hey bud, like, you know, like, what's wrong? Why your hands taste like that? It would have saved a lot of time than her trying to be polite and just toughen out the job. Either way, she dying because she ain't getting away. 
I mean, true, but I mean, she wouldn't have to taste butt fingers. But maybe, but <laughs> but, but maybe she figured out and just like elbowing at a crotch and try to run. Yeah, maybe. That's about her only chance. That would have been her only chance, but then she gets boiled in bong water. Yeah. Oh, I think it's time to get on to number one. All right, here we go. I wonder if any of you listeners out there have just have, have uh, you know picked up on what you think number one could be. We did drop a little little hint of it at the beginning, but for all of you out there who are familiar with crazy shit happening in hospitals, you should know what this number one is, or you're gonna definitely know what I'm talking about. And here we are at number one on Death RX. Could number one be any other than Larry Cohen's "It's Alive" from 1974? This is my favorite Larry Cohen film, and this movie made our number one spot on Death RX because it's simply unmatched. Uh, there are other movies that take place in entire and hospitals in their entirety, basically like Halloween Two or even Halloween Kills for the most part, or Dream Warriors. Um, but it, it, it's you know, there's only one. And the hospital massacre that happens when the baby is born is unrivaled. <laughs> yeah. That baby clears the room of doctors and nurses in a brutal and bloody fashion. Pinky in the brain looking motherfucker. <laughs> Dude, I counted uh I counted at least three dead bob three dead and bloody as hell bodies in the hospital room where mommy was giving birth. Plus a uh, fourth comes stumbling out into the hall and dies from a neck wound. Now the premise of the film is that now this mutant baby is being hunted and that leaves its parent in a leaves its parents in a bind. They have to decide they, whether they should destroy their child or save their child. And uh, yeah, not only is this uh, is there multiple brutal deaths in this hospital, but uh, it involves a baby, a killer mutant baby. I mean, it, this is hospital horror at its peak. Yeah, now knowledge snug. The movie was ripped off from or inspired by The Exorcist from 1973 and Rosemary's Baby from 1968. Obviously, but also uh, from 1946's Ray Bradbury horror story, The Little Assassin, about a homicidal baby who kills off its parents. And you know, uh, the sequels are not very good or worth it. Um, they're not worth the time, unfortunately. Uh, this series reminds me a lot of the Basket Case series, speaking of Frank Henenlotter. You know, they somehow made a series out of what should have been a one-and-done movie deal. Um, and the sequels are just nothing to desire. They increasingly get worse and kind of just further and further off point. And they become more hokey and funny. And uh, as, as John, there was nothing funny about the original, correct? No. Yeah, it's, they become kind of totally like just I parodies mean, of themselves. And the it's third just one's it. called It's Alive, Island of the Alive. Uh, that was the first movie, the first one I saw in the series because I had it on VHS. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Oh, wow. And it made me like scared to go back and visit the other ones for a while. And then I was like, I heard, you know, no, no. Uh, it's definitely, you know, the, the first one's definitely more serious in tone. And it's iconic. And then I read about it and I saw it on like an AMC thing where it was like the hospital scene in that movie. And that's why when we, when we said Death RX, I was like, oh shit, do we get to finally talk about the mutant baby fucking terrorizing a hospital? <laughs> uh, have you ever seen any of the novelizations? I've heard about them. them. You mean no? I've never. No, I know that they're based on them, but I've or that there are books about. Them. I don't know if the I don't know if the movies are based on the books or if the books came after the movies. Well, the novelizations came after. Okay, but yeah. uh, apparently in the books they expand upon the dangers that various prescription drugs administer to expected mothers in the fifties and sixties. Mm -hmm. The use of fertility drugs and indirect use of pesticides on people. In the story, the mother of the first mutant child had a history of taking combined oral contraceptive pills prior to planning her second pregnancy, whereupon she instead began taking an inadequately tested fertility drug to facilitate the contraceptive of her second or the conception of her second child. So they added uh, support to the novel, but uh, the design's great for the uh, 
It's a big throbby brain. That's what no. it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it is. The little baby is just uh it's just creepy as hell, you know, and uh, throughout our social media this week, we're going to have little uh, facts about this movie popping up, so make sure you uh, tune in. There's a lot of cool behind-the-scenes facts about this movie, you know, and uh, it's just one of those movies that's always going to be iconic, and it's always going to stand out, and uh, it's it's one of those ones that kind of just goes uh, under the radar for a while, and you don't hear about it. You don't hear It's Alive being brought up very much anymore, but when someone brings it up, bring, does bring it up, you remember, you know, everybody's like, oh, shit, yeah, you know, It's Alive, that fucking killer baby, you know, with the Rick Baker baby design. Like, you know, it's awesome. Uh, did you ever see the remake? I did, and I was not a fan. I, I, I was not a fan. Definitely not a fan. Did you see it? I haven't, and I've heard, oh, the best I've heard is okay. The, the, I was, but, but, but Larry Cohen hated it. He said yeah. it was a terrible picture, beyond awful. I'd advise anybody who likes my film to cross the street and avoid seeing the new enchilada. <laughs> no, I will say that, uh, uh, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to get the date right on this one, but there's a movie, I think, from 2000 and maybe 6, 2000 to, 2006 to 2008, and it's called Grace. And uh, it's about a, a baby that is basically born dead, and the mother like wills it back to life. And, um, like the baby is like a zombie though. Like it needs like human flesh and like blood to like survive. And it's this woman trying to keep this baby alive. So that's another really good, like killer baby movie for those of you who are interested, but it doesn't really have much to do with hospitals. I fact checked you and it's 2009. Ooh, I was close. (laughs) I was close. Yeah, definitely check it out. And like Drew said, we'll have stuff for you from, uh, little facts, little knowledge nugs throughout the week. All right, well, that'll wrap up Death RX for us here. Uh, Drew, was there any ones that we didn't get to, like maybe an honorable mention you thought about for the list that we didn't, we didn't um, put on here? Yeah, you know what? I guess uh, if I had to pick one, I guess I would go with Dr. Giggles, man. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Yeah, it's definitely been a minute for me. Uh, yeah, one I thought about was uh, the dentist. I mean, if oh, you, that's a good. Well, are doctors really dentists though? I mean, are if, dentists really doctors? I mean, a- ask a dentist if they're a doctor; they'll let you know. <laughs> but uh, Cor- Corbin Benson's great in it. Uh, I love them in the major league movies, and uh, yeah. So just make sure your dentist uh, does not have a bad morning, like catching his wife fucking the pole boy or whatever, giving him a little head. Yeah, before he goes to work, and then you're one of his patients because it's not it's not going to be a good day. <laughs> for the sake of and for you for for all you uh for, for those of you who want to cheat on your dentist spouse or partner <laughs> wait till he at least goes to work and out of the driveway before you start throwing yeah, have him. have 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 some common courtesy seriously so. because not only are you risking him seeing you but then he's gonna go take that shit out on his patients and that's exactly what happened and that's not fair fuck around on your i time. mean he had like three movies right yeah i yep. don't I did not watch any. Of the I sequels. don't remember. I watched two with my sister. I don't remember. I can't it. imagine. It's like it's yeah. like those principal movies. They had to get bad quick. Agree. It's like the stepfather movies too. Like I've only seen the first one in the <laughs> remake, and the remake was was taint cheese. <laughs> well, anyway, ending on taint cheese. Uh, I think now would be a good time to wrap this up and get into our interview with Michael Smallwood. Oh yeah, let's talk to him. Today's guest is a jack-of-all-trades. He's a screen actor who does theater as well. He's also a director and a writer. He's had roles in Detroit Evolution, Halloween 2018, or H40, Halloween Kills, the hit show The Righteous Gemstones, and more. Welcome, Michael Smallwood. Thank you for being on High on Horror. 
Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's great to have you on. Thank you for taking the time, and uh, it's great to have another East Coast guy. You're from Maryland, right? We're from Delaware. Really? That's so cool. Yeah, I'm from Baltimore originally. Okay, yeah, it's about an hour and a half from us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've got some of my friends. I've got friends here who are from Delaware too. It's really, really cool. Really, that's that's funny because Delaware is such a small place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So uh. So what's going on? Um, you're in mid-production of a play right now, correct? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm in a production uh, called Ben Butler. This is by a playwright named Richard Strand. Uh, I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm uh, a company member at a place called Pure Theater. And uh, this is the first full play that I've done since before the pandemic. Actually, since late 2019. Um, I, the last the last like play I did. I left the play and went and shot Halloween Kills. And uh, now I'm like back on stage in front of an audience. And it's been it's been going really great. It's just uh, it's you know based on a true story of um, these three enslaved men who escaped uh, a Confederate uh, fort and made their way to the only Union fort in the area in Virginia and. Uh, had a conversation with the general there that led to the basis of the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, that sounds awesome, uh, and uh, it, it's you know it's it's great to have somebody on who isn't just a, a star or think of themselves as a star. Because when you have people who do stage work, that's someone who appreciates the art of acting and the art of you know just just art. So like it's always nice and refreshing to have someone on who who does those things, and it's great to know that you're having fun doing it. You know, so uh, you didn't have any stage fright or anything getting back at it after you know the pandemic. No, you know it was a little. Um you know, a little more nerve wracking than, you know, normally is because I, I just wasn't in the groove. And it, it the first few weeks of rehearsal, um, I, I certainly felt like, oh, man, OK, I got to get my legs back under me. Um, but once we I mean, once we got an audience in there, once we started hearing people like laughing at the show because it, it, it is a comedy, uh, then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm back. Really, I, the thing I've had to get back used to is like. Uh, my stamina is completely gone. So like I go, I, <laughs> I, I go and do the show and afterwards I come home, I'm falling asleep on the couch within minutes. And I'm like, so used to being able to like, yeah, I can do the show. And then, yeah, let's all go hang out after. And I haven't even tried. I've just been like performance over. I'm home by 1030. My eyes are closing. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm just <laughs> trying to get, I'm trying to get my stamina back. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of, I'm out of shape. Uh, for, for, for for live performance yeah that's understandable um well uh i gotta ask you because you're on high on horror uh are you a smoker you know i'm not really um i i, I did a little bit in like high school and college i i am i get it's i'm the exact opposite of apparently everyone else in the world um i smoke and i get very anxious and so it doesn't <laughs> relax me at all so like every every couple of times i've done it i've been like "Ooh, oh no i feel like i might have a heart attack and everybody else seems to be having a good time and i'm stressed out so uh i i i kind of have, have just uh, you know it's it's something that i'm like man that seems cool everybody's having a great time i'm just gonna stand over here and not feel like i'm dying <laughs> yeah everybody's brains wired a little differently with that <laughs> have, have, have you tried edibles or anything else besides smoking I had an edible once at Dragon Con, like many years ago. A friend of mine gave me a Rice Krispie Square, and I don't think there was much in it because I don't remember 
feeling really anything happening. Um, I, I've, I've, it's certainly like edibles are something that I've certainly been like open to trying um, uh, over the last few years. I've been like, oh, I'd be certainly interested in doing that. And then there's been a pandemic and, you know, I'm not hanging out with people enough to even make that happen. So, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I, I, I am I am a failed I'm a failed smoker, as it were. Uh, well, obviously, you've been in the Halloween movie. So uh, are you a horror fan? Yeah, I really am. Um, I, for a long time, I wasn't. I, you know, um you know, I'm I, I'm like I'm in my mid 30s. I, I I was a teenager in the 90s, so obviously, like you know, I I came up with the Scream. I came up with the 90s slasher movies. Um, the Scream movies are some of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, there are no bad Scream movies. I will watch them all. <laughs> um, I I will defend Scream three to the ends of the earth. That's how much of a Scream fan I am. Uh, but you know, once we hit like the early 2000s and like basically from saw forward i was like oh oh i kind of hate this genre now because saw like really <laughs> turned me off for horror um and uh and then i saw hostile like right after it and i was like okay great i just don't need to watch any more horror movies because this whole genre is now a mess um but i will say that like movies like the descent really started to get me back in um i really i, I don't really do like ghost movies like anything that is about like hauntings or demon possessions like i can't i i have such a hard time even like suspending disbelief enough to even enjoy the movie like the minute a character walks on screen and goes there's a ghost my i immediately go well it's not a ghost and then i'm like okay now i can't watch the rest of the movie so like but you know like i said i've especially the last few years things like um the eyes, uh, 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 the, the eyes of my mother, um, a girl walks home alone at night. Um, it follows like a lot of the horror movies over the last 10 years. I've really been into, I absolutely love like raw. I loved, um, yeah. I mean, I, like his house from, uh, two years ago was one of my favorite movies of the year. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I, I can, on, I can say that I'm like into horror now in a way that I really wasn't for a, a long time in the early 2000s. Uh, so, so we saw like one of the first like horror movies that really got you interested in, in horror. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Saw I'm, so, I'm sorry. I meant scream. Got me out. You, of, you, uh, you, you, had mentioned scream. I meant, uh, had scream. Was that one of the first movies got you in the horror? You know, I, I like, you know, I was a kid before that. So like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, the early, you know, the early horror movies, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're scary cause you're a child and they frighten you. I, to this day, um, I saw part of one of the Hellraiser movies as a kid, and I had never rewatched them because I was so freaked out. So, like, I have no idea. Like, the Hellraiser movies are a franchise that I have never seen a full one of them because I saw part of one as a child and was like, nope, that's the scariest thing I've ever seen. I don't want to watch that anymore. <laughs> um, I should probably watch some. I'm an adult now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Scream is the first, like, horror movie I remember, like, really being in love with. Like, watching it repeatedly. I, I remember I remember scouring the early days of the internet for information on Scream 2 and 3. I, um, you know, I, I watched them every time they were on, you know, owned the VHS copies. Like, that was probably my the first, like, horror movie that I loved that was, like, my favorite horror movie. Yeah, uh, the Hellraisers. If you do go back and watch them, you really only need the first two. After that, it's it's kind of all downhill. 
Okay. All Agreed. right. I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> and uh, before I get you over the Drew to talk about Halloween, uh, you're a fan of pro wrestling. Uh, what are your thoughts on current yeah. wrestling? Uh, the, who's your favorite of all times? Ooh, these are two compl- uh, very big questions. Uh, the easier one to answer, my favorite wrestler of all time is Bret Hart. I, I grew up on like Bret Hart was my favorite when I was a kid. I, I he's he's still responsible for a bunch of my favorite matches. I can go back and watch them anytime. Um, yeah, Bret Hart's my favorite wrestler of all time. What do I think of current wrestling? Like, look, wrestling is one of my favorite art forms. It's one of my favorite forms of storytelling. I even even when I am even if I get like sick of it or fatigued with it, every every couple of decades I find a period of like a year where I'm like, I don't watch this right now i'm just gonna tune i'll I'll check in every so often but i'm not gonna watch every week um but you know it's uh, like i'm never gonna not be a fan of wrestling like sitting down watching a wrestling match is some of my favorite forms of live theater man like i absolutely love it um i i've been to two wrestlemanias so far i will definitely go to more of them my wife and i are both huge wrestling fans um one of my best friends from high school is a the booker for a promotion in South Carolina now and has asked, has actually had me do color commentary with him for like his YouTube uh, wrestling show. And uh, which was such a blast. (laughs) Oh, it was so cool. Like um, I got to do that. This poster right here over my shoulder is uh, from a play I did. That's about professional wrestling. That's why I have this luchador mask. Um, so like I've you know I've been I've been trained a little bit I've taken some power bombs in my day. Listen, I I love pro wrestling and I always will. Like I you know it's it's a it's a it's a show I'm always gonna have a have a a special place for. It's the it's the career I wish I could have had. Yeah, we're we're around the same age. So yeah, Bret Hart was like the first wrestler. Him and him and I guess like late '80s Hogan growing up were like the first two that i really liked and i mean is there any error better than the attitude error yes well i honestly think yes which one 100 percent. the i i would argue the ruthless aggression era is better than the attitude era like matches were better uh the ruthless aggression era had kurt angle the attitude era didn't re like had the better version of kurt angle i should say the attitude era that's did have fair. angle but like like ruthless aggression has Kurt Angle at the top of his game. Shawn Michaels is back. It has, uh, it has like mid two thousands Undertaker. It has Edge, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, JBL. Like, come, like uh, I could go on, but like yeah, ruthless aggression era. Like the attitude era is remembered fondly, but like God, try and go back and watch any of it. It's all so terrible. Like every match, unless it's a main event, is six minutes long. Like people like title changes are like every fucking 15 days, like come like way too, way too frequent title changes. It is patently, it's hard to watch. It's like some of the segments are like super gross. Like it's hard to watch now. It's like, oh, I was a child. I should not have been watching this segment. Like, uh, and the ruthless aggression era is slightly better, but at least like in the ruthless aggression era, there's like, like, like the people are having actual wrestling matches. Like there are moves. There are wrestling moves in the matches. Like it's, it's crazy. Like it's remembered fondly. I, you know, I was a huge attitude era fan, obviously, but like, God, look going, if you like sticking with it and then like looking back at it, you're like, Oh, Oh, this is all trash. Kind of like it's, it's, I, 
I if you're if people who are like super fond of the attitude era, I'm like, yeah, go back and watch like your favorite pay-per-view. Don't skip anything and see if you're still like, oh yeah, this is my favorite pay-per-view. It's funny you say that because I've went back and started watching from right after the Montreal screw job. And right now I'm in 1998 and there are some matches that I'm just like, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to sit through this, even though it's like four or five minutes. Right. Like there are four or five minute matches. You're like, I'm not skip. I can't, I can't sit through this. Like, that's crazy. Whereas like, if, if you're looking for a better era, like, like hell, just watch NXT from 2015 to 2019. Like, beautiful like one of the best eras of wrestling ever like like there are like the attitude era is important and it is what we were raised on but there are much better eras than the attitude era watching the attitude era has showed me the new age outlaws were not as good of a tag team as i thought they were when oh i was a my kid goodness <laughs> we're right they, have, they do nothing like they were I super never liked over them. what what did they actually do but the rest of that tag team division at the time is so bad. It's like the headbangers yeah. are like constantly like in the title yeah. picture. And I'm like, they're not good either. Yeah. I mean, really, the Attitude Era has, admittedly, some of the greatest, like, like it has the best main event ever. And everybody in the like mid card was over. But outside of the like, what, three years that Edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys were running the show, like tag team wrestling was kind of garbage. The Intercontinental title picture is just people who would eventually be the, like, it's just the Rock and Triple H for a really long time. And then the world title picture is just the same four dudes for like two years. Like Rock, Triple H, Austin, eventually Kurt Angle sometimes the undertaker like that's it right like it's it's crazy how like unwatchable so much of that stuff becomes now and one more i gotta ask you what's your favorite match and why is it undertaker versus Shawn michaels at wrestlemania 25 oh it's not oh listen <laughs> that match is really good that match is really good it's not my favorite match that match is really good i love that match it would it would rank very high i think my favorite wrestling match is I don't know. It might be Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 21. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. That's my second like favorite that one after. Yeah, WrestleMania that match 25. is great. <laughs> that match is great. I'm a, I'm still a big fan of Bret Austin WrestleMania 13. Like that is that is all that is perfect storytelling. Like there are a few wrestling matches that are better told stories than Bret and Austin at WrestleMania 13. Um I don't know. Like one of my favorite wrestling matches still is like, it's, it's a more mo God damn, this match is like really old now, but like Bailey and Sasha Banks at take over Brooklyn. Like again, perfect storytelling. Like I have no notes. Like there are very few perfect wrestling matches. There are a handful of them. And like, that's one of them. Like, but yeah, I think, I think maybe Michaels and Kurt Angle at Mania 21 is my favorite match. Austin Rock from 17 is my is one of my favorite matches. So that, that was like for a long time my number one. Because that match is really, really good if the ending doesn't quite hold up anymore. Yep. That's the only problem yeah. with it. Yeah. And um Which, yeah, I, I you know. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I, I was just gonna say that um yeah like uh hbk was always my favorite growing up like he was uh i i liked him since i was literally i would draw pictures like i didn't understand that i wasn't an audience member and i would hold up like signs in front of my tv like i'm watching <laughs> you you know and uh he was always my favorite so i i am kind of biased towards the attitude era because that was like peak asshole hbk and like there wasn't anybody better than him at that time there wasn't and but but when i break it down to based on what you said i'm like in the ruthless aggression era we did have benoit jericho like there wasn't that many peers sean didn't have peers like that and angle he didn't have that many no. peers. so it's like i think i'm you you might have honestly just swayed me and it's like I've, I've liked the attitude era like my whole life and i'm actually thinking now and i'm like you know what based on what you're saying based on match quality i think i would agree with what you're saying absolutely match quality has i mean think about it like you if you look there's a two-year span in the attitude era where vince mcmahon is the company's top heel and there is literally no one else. there's a whole there's a year span where Austin wrestles mankind at three straight pay-per-views and the matches yeah, are about right. Vince McMahon. Like those matches are about Vince. Like it's, I it's actually wild. attended like, an event in Philly between those. Oh really? Yeah, dude. It's like, it's, it's just, it's just crazy looking back at some of that stuff, you know, it's, but, but is there oh, a more man, ridiculous like, match than a uh, HBK wrestling God? Listen, I mean, that's outrageous, <laughs> right? That's crazy. Uh, like, God, man, talk about talk about. I think even Vince got crazier in the ruthless aggression era. He fought God and won. He's one and zero against God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> yeah. So okay, uh, what's your favorite finishing move of all time? Ooh, ouch! Wow! Oh, how dare you? Um, oh, I mean. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Is it anything other than sweet chin music? It's a perfect finishing move. It, it's it's super. I don't know. I was always a big fan of the diamond cutter. Like I was a big fan of the diamond cutter. I was a big fan of of uh, the sharpshooter. Like I really liked the sharpshooter um, as Brett's finisher. Savage's elbow. Oh yeah. Um. What about the pedigree or the tombstone? Do you like those like power you know, moves that you need the setups for? You know, not really. Although I will say, as far as tombstones go, give me um, just Incredibles. That's incredible tombstone. I'll take that. Uh, I really like this is this is this is this is getting into the weeds. But I really like um, uh, I really like uh, 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 Kazuchika Akata's Rainmaker. As a finisher, like I love the Rainmaker. I think it's really cool. I really like Tetsuya Naito's um, Destino as a finishing move. I think that's really cool, even though it's like so, it's the most impractical finishing move. Like every time I watch it, I'm like, that sh you should never hit that. Why? I don't understand. Every time I'm like, this is such a dumb move, but it's cool. Um, yeah, um, uh, Sweet Chin Music. I, I I think I'll go Sweet Chin Music. It's my favorite finishing move because it's just so sudden it's so great you can hit it on anybody it can be used in a match or in a promo it can be it's it's over face or heel like it doesn't see it's not one of those moves it's like oh you shouldn't be using this you're a face now or vice versa right it's yeah it's eh, sweet chin music is probably the best finishing move you surprised me. I thought we were going to be beefing because at the beginning of this, you said that you were a big Bret Hart fan. So my alarm, my alarm went off, and I'm like, "Oh no, oh no, he's going to be shitting on HBK the whole time." Listen, you're actually no, giving I'm a lot not, of props. 
I'm not. No, listen. He's one of the best wrestlers of all time. He's kind like it's so funny because I I I t- I tell people all the time that like I kind of learned how to act from watching pro wrestling as a kid. Like that's how I learned how to like you know like I you know you watch wrestling. And it's like okay, well I gotta learn how to sell right. And so that's that's everything right. about pro wrestling can teach you about acting. Um, and Shawn Michaels is probably the person. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart are probably the people who I most like watched and was like oh that's how you tell an audience that something is happening that's how you like respond you know whenever i'm like in a in a fight scene or anything like that like if i'm selling pain or damage i'm very much like i'm I'm at the Shawn michaels bret hart school you know what i mean like it's like those two guys are how i learned how to like the early my early acting lessons were watching those two dudes and like sean is like I, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that Shawn Michaels isn't, isn't responsible for some of the best wrestling matches of all time. I am gonna admit that, like Shawn in the '90s was kind of the reason that we didn't get some of. Like there were some great wrestling matches we should have gotten Shawn, but you were being a a child. But like it's cool. Like other than that, like yeah, I liked I liked a lot of people, and I was I was very there were very few people I didn't like watching wrestling. Like very few people who I was like, oh god, I hate this person. Unless I just thought that they were like bad at this, it takes a like if some it takes me a lot for me to be like, oh no, I hate this wrestler because they're bad at this. Um, yeah, no, the one I always get in trouble for is that like I have never liked Hulk Hogan. Me neither, and uh, actually I swayed John. I did when I was younger. Oh. As a kid, I was like, as a kid, I, I, as a kid, I cheered for Ric Flair to beat Hulk Hogan at every turn. I was like, anybody who's up against Hogan, great. I hope they win. I hate Hulk Hogan. I hate him so much. He's terrible. I was a weird kid. All right, well, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I was never a fan. John was a fan as a kid, and then uh, over the last, like, decade or so john kind of straight uh, swayed off that and uh gorilla monsoon said uh hulk hogan didn't know the difference between a wristwatch and a wrist lock and i think that that's apparent oh yeah he's a terrible wrestler um yeah no no i've never been a hogan a hogan fan not once and i honestly honestly too i was very much like this is gonna this is gonna sound weird but as a kid, I agreed with Vince that Austin was a bad champion. Oh, no shit. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> I would be like, I mean, look, Vince isn't going about this the right way, but he's not wrong. Like, Austin's the worst. I was, again, <laughs> Bret Hart fan. So, like, I was like, Austin's terrible, and I don't know why the fans are cheering for him, and he shouldn't be WWE champion. The Rock should be WWE champion, not <laughs> Austin. <laughs> All right, well, um, let's let's move past wrestling now. <laughs> um, I know, right? I know. Uh, <laughs> a wrestling podcast. I did not mean to start awesome, that. But no, once that's, you get me started, we, I we enjoyed the shit stop. out of that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So actually, my wife is a huge fan of this show, Community, and I've never watched it. And I actually Ooh. recently discovered that you uh, run a podcast with a buddy of yours about the show. Correct? What's that about? Do you guys break episodes down, or what do you do? 
Yes. So, um, oh, this is so cool. We got to talk about this. So, welcome to Greendale is the name of the podcast, and it is uh, a community rewatch. Where so uh, my wife and I are big community fans. Uh, I started watching the show in, like late in season one when it was airing, and um, was one of the few who followed it all the way to Yahoo and watched all the Yahoo episodes. Um, so, big fan of the show, and a friend of ours. Uh, we, you know, it was getting to be two thousand and. 19 so it was like 10 year anniversary of the show uh releasing and we wanted to talk about community and my wife and i were like well we we should get a, one of our friends who's never seen it um our friend sadia is uh wonderful but has never seen an episode of community so what we do is um it's you know i've watched the show all the way through multiple times my wife has seen every episode except for the uh yahoo episodes and um, Sadia's never seen it. So we watch an episode a week and we talk about the episode. We break it down and we're getting it, you know, we're getting the to experience the show from two different perspectives. The perspective of longtime community fans and the perspective of somebody who is watching it for the first time right now, um, which is very funny considering how much of community, like how many jokes from community became the way we talk to each other on the Internet. Um it's been really cool watching because like people, you know, whenever anybody talks about the darkest timeline, that's from community. And it's a thing that everyone talks about. Um, people, you know, Sadia has realized that she has shared gifts and made references that were from this show and she didn't know it. It's so cool watching somebody like, especially now, because when community first came out, it's the early days of Twitter and watching someone now discover community and realize how much of the language of Twitter is based on community. It's really cool. Uh, and then, you know, for us, we get to watch the show in a way that we haven't since it was originally airing, which is one episode at a time. Like, uh, community is a show that I typically put on the put on in the background and binge, and now I'm having to watch it one episode a week. Uh, and sometimes, you know, whenever we're on hiatus, I'm not watching it at all. And so I get to kind of look forward to the next episode and I get to really break down the episodes and like pay attention to them in a way that I really haven't since they were first on the air. So it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're uh, just about to restart soon. Um, we've, we've already recorded a couple of episodes for season five. So it's been it's been going really well. Oh, that's awesome. I actually think that I just saw that it's on Netflix. So uh, I, I'm going to have to go back and watch it because I would definitely like to listen to your podcast. You know, you're a funny guy, so I can imagine there's a lot of humor. And I don't want to listen to it. I'm not the, that type of guy that would watch a commentary <laughs> before I watch the movie. So I'd rather watch the show first. But I will definitely make sure that I go back and visit that because it's, if you put that much time and effort in to just talk about a show you like, you obviously it's worth it. You know what I mean? Obviously, it meant something to you. And it's a great way to watch the show is to go through it with the podcast, right? Because then you, you know, it's it's sort of like it gives you this opportunity to sort of appreciate even even the bad episodes of Community. You get a, a special appreciation for them once you watch it and then get to kind of like discuss it, you know, or or hear, or hear it discussed, you know, with us. So I think it's a good, they're a good companion piece to each other. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, I'll definitely check that out. Um so uh, why did you get started in acting? How old were you when you wanted to act and what made you want to do it? Um, I've been acting since like second grade. Like in second grade, we did a, a a play or winter concert or something. And I got to play Santa Claus and I've kind of not stopped wanting to perform for people since. But uh, 
Um, but I really, I really got into acting in middle school and, and, you know, I've always, like I said, I grew up watching pro wrestling. I've always liked performing for an audience and I've always wanted to play a, a you know, get this opportunity to sort of um, interpret a, a big range of different characters and different types of people. So um, acting has kind of just always been my, my passion and, and my uh, career goal. And so I, you know, I've studied it in high school, studied it in college and have you know, basically since graduating and working, uh, you know, since graduating it's so long ago, but like, uh, yeah, basically been working as an actor, um, ever since. And yeah, I mean, that's really kind of how I got started. Just kind of, it's the thing that I have done my entire life. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, um, now you played who you're listed on IMDb as hunky doctor in Halloween 2018. And then you came back with a bigger role in Halloween kills as Marcus, the same character, but now you're named Marcus after 2018. Did you know you were going to be back for the sequel? Was that something that was discussed during 2018 or was that something you just got to call on once like the script was written for the sequel? Yeah. So it was a surprise. Um, when when I did Halloween 2018, I kind you know I definitely thought it was like a one one and done thing. I, and I was like, oh, this will be cool because now I'll get a chance to like work with uh, David and and Roughhouse on whatever the next project is. Um, but I wasn't expecting any more in Halloween. You know, um, we kind of had that scene and and have that that narrow uh, that that very close call with Michael as it kind of and then and then that was it. And, and it was cool. I was like, oh, great. I get to be in a scene with Michael Myers. I got to meet Jim. Like, this will be a cool thing that I'll just get to say, hey, I was in a Halloween movie. Uh, and then in 2019, like beginning of the summer is when they called and were like, hey, would uh, would you be willing to come back? Because we're thinking about bringing your character back for Halloween Kills. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That sounds awesome. And And I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what they were bringing me back to do. No one told me. They just asked if I wanted to come back. So, so I, I got that call at the beginning of the summer and it was like August before I got a chance to read the script and find out what was happening. So I spent like two months going, Oh, I guess I'm going to be in the next Halloween. And I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't. Um, so, so like I'm, I'm coming up with all these like theories and my wife, my wife who is a huge Halloween fan, um, uh, my wife is like, well, maybe they'll just have you. It's like she's just throwing in all these different ideas for like what kind of weird cameo I could have and stuff. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I, we have no idea what this is. I assumed it would be, I assumed it would be like a flashback. I, I assumed they'd do something that was like a flashback to that night, and 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 our characters would be in it as like a nice like Easter egg thing or or like a. Uh, I did also have the thought, I was like, oh, they're going to kill me in like the opening credits or something like that. Like, that's what it'll be. It'll be some like, it'll be something where it's like, oh, there's like a one scene where like he also killed that those that couple on that night. And it's like a way of setting up how brutal the night was or something in a flashback. That's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I thought. I had no idea until I read the script um, that they wanted to bring the character back and, and, and build on it to like, you know, explain um, who, who, Marcus and Vanessa are. 
Well, um, John and I and all of our friends, uh, like seriously, and even people we talked to online, everybody thought that you and your wife in Halloween 2018 were Julian's parents. Because then we cut to Julian and he's in the house and he's being babysat. Did you get that from anybody? Any of your friends? Anybody say like, I thought that you guys were the parents of the kid, the funny kid? Um, so yeah, obviously everyone thought that. Uh, it's, I mean, it's such a like, well, okay. So I, even I, like, I didn't think it when I was watching the movie or when we were making the movie, cause there was never any discussion of that. And it's a different house, right? Like it's not the same house that Michael goes into, um, later. So, but then after the movie came out, after 2018 came out, like everyone started saying that. And I was like, um, no, that's not like, no one ever planned that, but I guess so. Um, and then I like would tease people and be like, y'all are being racist. Like just because we're two black people doesn't mean we're not kids' parents. <laughs> um, and it's funny because it was something I brought up. Like when David, uh, when I talked to David about doing the movie after I got, uh, right around the time I got the script, he he asked me, he was like, hey, have you heard this rumor that you're uh, Julian's parents? And I was like, okay, so David, I kind of thought maybe you did that on purpose <laughs> because like, it does seem like it like it, it does seem like a small enough Easter egg that you could have been like, oh, yeah, that's his parents leaving for the night. Like I was like, OK, I could buy that, you know. Um, and so I asked him and he was like, no, we didn't mean for that to happen. Huh. I was like, oh, because it really does seem like a David. Like, it really does. Like he's in the neighborhood, like really does seem like we're supposed to be his parents or that we could be. And he was like. No, you're not. And then that was it. That was just the end of the conversation. That's when we got to set and filmed the scene where I'm like, make where I make it very clear that we're not its parents. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, uh, how did you get involved in Halloween 2018? Did you audition or did somebody come to you with like, hey, a new Halloween movie's coming out? Do you want to be in it? Like, how did that come about? I, you know, I went to an audition. Um, so Halloween 2018 was, was, you know, had like a, an open casting call basically to fill out, uh, characters in you know in Haddonfield um and a lot of people went I went I did a I don't I don't remember the exact scene but I think it was like I think it was like people responding and it's not a real scene but like it was like a scene that was like citizens responding to one of Michael Myers's art projects with bodies right so it's like somebody he's strung somebody up and we're supposed to be reacting to it and I went in and did it. It was cool. I didn't really think anything of it. I think I came, I, I'm pretty sure I came in and read for a different role at some point. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, it was like an, any other audition really, except for that, like, I couldn't tell people I auditioned for it. And none of the sides that we auditioned with were like actual sides from the movie. And then, I, yeah, I was kind of surprised when I got the call to be like, hey, they, they have a part they want you to play in Halloween 2018. I was like, cool. <laughs> I was like, that's really cool. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. Um, and I remember getting the script oh, yeah. and being like, holy shit, I have the script for the next Halloween. I remember looking at my wife, again, who is a huge Halloween fan, like from, you know, her high school ringtone was the Michael Myers theme, like big fan. And uh, I, I remember being like, hey do you want to read the next Halloween movie before it gets made? And she was like, no, <laughs> I want to watch the movie. <laughs> I would have read it. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have been able to hold out. I feel like a lot of people would have. My wife is very much like, my wife is very much, that's her thing. Like she doesn't, if she reads something, 
she reads the script before she sees it. She does the same thing when I'm doing plays. Like she doesn't want to read the script at all. Cause then like, then her like creativity starts to take over and she can't see the play for what it is. Right. So um, she, she doesn't like reading the scripts for things beforehand. So even with both Halloween, she was like, I don't want to read the script. I'm just going to see, I'm just going to watch it. Like, don't tell me too much about it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That had to be hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we've met James Jude Courtney. John and I have both met him. And I mean, the dude was nice as hell. He's class act, super goofy, a lot of jokes. I have to ask, um, when he put that mask on, were you intimidated or was it like, nah, that's the dude I was just joking around with five minutes ago? Or was it like, oh shit, this dude wants to fucking kill me? You know, um, for, for, so for, for 2018, when we met him, it was kind of cool because it was like, oh, hey, man, what's going on? Like, you know, having like he's like you said, he's such a nice guy. He's very affable. Um, he's very chill. Like he's a very chill, laid back guy. And then I think I, I had like a little moment in 2018, like seeing not him. I didn't see him put on the mask, but like just seeing Michael, like him in the mask, seeing Michael Myers there and being like, oh, shit, that's Michael Myers. That's so cool. Um. When we were making Halloween Kills, I actually did get a moment of seeing him put the mask on. And I was like, that's really neat. Like, it, I, don't, it, I don't know. It's like, it's such a, uh, like, not, there was like a, a huge moment of, well, maybe. I, like, it's less of a fanboy moment as much as it is like, I, I do take stock of certain moments when I'm making movies or, or, or really anything like that of like, huh, this is cool. This is a cool thing to take a note of. Um, you know, just for just to be like, oh look, look where I'm standing right now. And there were that there was a moment of that. It was like a like less a less of a fanboy moment and more of like an awe of like, oh, this is my job. My job today is I'm about to try and fight Michael Myers. Cool. <laughs> that's bad. Like that's like, oh, that's <laughs> like it's that's not Jim right now. Like, that's Michael Myers. Like, look at the mask. That's so cool. And like like it's uh it's and especially like the night we were filming the car scene i like there's a point like where we're like wrestling around i was just like i'm like really close to the michael myers mask it was very strange like huh okay it's kind of it's not iconic moment all right cool uh what are we doing yeah okay great <laughs> well, uh, your death is absolutely brutal, man, and it's probably my favorite in the film. How Thank long you. did it take Chris Nelson to apply that makeup? Uh, an hour and a half. Yeah, like roughly an hour okay. and a half. Uh, had to go in, sit down, get the like prosthetic over the eye and over the hair, and all of then. And then actually, once that's on, then they have to apply the makeup to make it look like my face again, and um. Yeah, it was really. It took a, took a while to get into it. It's very. It's not uncomfortable, but it it You know, I can't see out of it, so I can only see out of one eye, and it's got a giant knife handle sticking out of it. So, if you raise your left hand too close to your face, like the whole time I was like, "Well, I can't hit this thing because if I if I hit it too hard, I might rip the prosthetic off." So anytime you, I would raise my hand accidentally to try and touch my face or something and touch the handle, I would like panic and drop my hand and stop moving. So then I stopped lifting my left hand at all. I can't see it on my left eye. So basically at a certain point on set, like once I got back to set for makeup, I just put my hand out and let people walk me around set. 
Because I was like, there's no point in me trying to do anything else. Like, I, I've, got, I've got one hand and one eye. Like, let's just... Let's just do this. Um, yeah, so it took like it took like an hour and a half to put on. Uh, and I actually had to put it on the night after, but that was a lesser version of it. Like because it was it, it was gonna be for like background shots. And that that took like 45 minutes to put the smaller version on. And uh before uh being in any of the Halloween movies, I know you said your wife was a fan, but are you a fan of the series? You know, I so I've taught film history. Um uh, for many years to like middle schoolers and stuff. And Halloween is one of the movies I teach um, because I, you know, I, 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 I think it's, it's important um, as a stepping stone to not just like modern horror, but it's also a very wonderful evolution of horror movies dating back to like Hitchcock psycho. Right. So um, it's one of the, it's one of the movies that I would teach in my, my film uh, history classes for, for my middle school students and my high school students. Yeah. Uh, do you like any of the sequels of the Halloween series or, or or you just stick to the original? I like the, I like the original one. I really like the original one. I think it's a great movie. I, I liked Halloween H2O. Um, so even, even like, so before, even before doing Halloween kills, the only ones I had seen were Halloween, Halloween H2O and part of Halloween resurrection before i turned it off <laughs> yeah I can, I can understand turning that one off yes before i turned off halloween resurrection that's the one with buster rhymes right yes yeah. i'd seen part of that one but yeah i had only really i had only seen halloween and halloween h2o i have i still haven't seen uh halloween three nope i've never seen season of the witch i don't think i've seen four or five either still I own them. We have them upstairs. I should just go watch them. Um, but yeah, and I had seen, oh, and I had seen Rob Zombie's Halloween. Ugh. Sorry you had to see that. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, it's, here's, it's a, it's a fine slasher movie. It's just not a good Halloween movie. That's fair. Agreed. Like, I don't know. Like Michael Myers is terrifying to me because I, because we don't know what he wants. Exactly. Right. Like we just don't, we, there's no explanation for why he's killing people. He's just been doing it since he was a child and he won't stop doing. It seems then strange to me to devote 40 minutes to explaining to me why I want the child Michael Myers to murder a bunch of people. Like the opening of Rob Zombie's movie spends like seriously like 30 minutes explaining to me, like to, to the point where I was like, yeah, man, this kid should kill his family. They're terrible. <laughs> exactly. And, and at that point it's not a Michael Myers movie. It's just like, it's a story about like a Like I, I was like, this is a story about abuse and like, I don't really want this kid to kill people, but if he's going to kill anybody, I understand these murders, but I'm not, I'm now not scared of this monster because I know why he's killing people. <laughs> like you've, you've made it very clear. Michael Myers is not supposed to be sympathetic. Yeah. Yes. He I, like, and that's, that's one of the things that I, I, I didn't, that's the thing I can't connect to in Rob Zombie's movie is that like, don't exp- like, of all, uh, I, I am not somebody, I, my friends will tell you, I don't, I don't want prequels. I don't like, 
I don't really need backstory and explanation for, you know, I, I don't, if, if you've established a series of movies with a character, the last thing I want you to do is then make a whole movie dedicated to showing me how we got to this point, because there's no drama in that, right? Like I, I know where we're going. And, and, and in theory, you've already told me all of this. I don't, why are we watching it? What is, what are we getting out of this? Right. Um, and I, I've, but of all the characters I've net that I've needed it less for, I was like, please don't explain Michael Myers to me. Like, because all you can do is make him sympathetic, and that's not what I want. I just want a scary monster. Yeah. Uh, now, even though you didn't share any screen time with Jamie Lee Curtis, did you get a chance to meet her on set? Well, her first day on set was one of my last days on set. And then, so no, I didn't get to meet her on set. I met her at the premiere. So, um, And she's very nice. She was, even, even without having met her, uh, she sent me a, lovely gift after we all wrapped halloween kills uh which i i need to hang but she said it's really cool she sent me a butcher knife it's very nice <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's really cool so um she's very sweet incredibly lovely lady um but uh, you know i didn't get a chance to meet her on set um like i said i got to like literally they were filming one of her scenes and i got to set and was like oh jamie lee's here oh i gotta go get in hair and makeup and then I got back and she was gone and that was it. That was the only time we were on set together. Cause you like, if you're not filming with people, you typically don't see them. And I didn't meet, I didn't meet the two Johns at all. So like, but like, and like, didn't, I don't, I, I like those parts of the movies, I kind of glossed over because I wanted there to be something in the movie that I didn't know anything about so that I could watch the movie. Right. So the two Johns are the only part of the movie that I don't know that I didn't know anything about until opening night. I had no, I was like, what, what even is this part of the movie? Oh, cool. Who are these characters? Like I didn't meet them at all. Like at the premiere it was like, Oh, Hey, hi, these two dudes. What are they doing here? And then I saw the movie and then afterwards at the, at the after party, I was like, Oh, Hey, y'all were great. <laughs> didn't know your part of the movie existed until tonight. Yeah. Big John and little John, that whole thing with them is great. Yeah, like I said, I, people are like, like I tell people that's my favorite part of the movie. It's because it's the part of the movie I'm not <laughs> in and I didn't know anything about. And uh, the uh, the actor who plays uh, Big John, he got his, uh, well, he started working with uh, Danny and them on Righteous Gemstones. And now you did yep. the Halloween movies and worked on Righteous Gemstones. How, how did uh, you get approached about that? I just got a call. Um, you know, I, I got a call to come in and, and do uh, two episodes of season two of Righteous Gemstones. And uh, it was, which was very, very cool. I got to, you know, the first time I got to actually work with Danny, um, who I hadn't worked with before. I'd met him, obviously, a couple of times, but I hadn't had a chance to to actually, you know, work uh, with him. I got to work with Eric Andre, who was very, very cool. Uh, really, really fan of fan of his work and um yeah no it's it's it was really cool getting to like come back on set and work work with that chair that you know the crew over at rough house are some of my favorite people to work with um on camera and it's super super great to get to come in you know and like reconnect with people i hadn't seen since we shot halloween and uh yeah and, and get to do some i think some very funny stuff on righteous gemstones um and, and, and some things I had never done before. And I can't talk about that anymore. Because uh, 
because Sunday's episode hasn't aired yet. I I just got caught up yesterday. I I was two episodes behind, and I'm I'm excited for Sunday's finale. I've I watched this show since it's come out. I feel like it's just such an underrated show. Like I've told Drew, I've told like everybody I know. I'm like, you gotta watch Righteous Gemstones. It's just hilarious. It's a great take on the whole like Joel Osteen mega church type thing. It's really funny, and I I'm I. I'm firmly in the camp that the entire show could just be Uncle Baby Billy, and I would be loving it because oh. I think Walton Goggins is great. <laughs> oh, Walton's um, also so think good. E- I also think Edie Patterson is the other MVP of the show. I think she is hilarious as Judy. She's so funny, um, and she's such super cool. Um, she's really you know just she's really nice and really lovely, and um. And then I just love watching John Goodman's character because I've been joking about it uh, with people lately because a bunch of my friends are getting caught up on it. And uh, I've been like, John Goodman is giving and actually like he's giving a realistic performance of a pastor going through grief that would not be out of place in an indie movie, but it feels like someone took his character from like an award-winning drama about faith and grief and then teleported him into a cartoon with a bunch of like morons. And you're just watching John Goodman's character react to that reality. (laughs) And like his acting is so good. You almost forget it's John Goodman and you just think of him as this is Eli Gemstone. Like, well, and like there are scenes where I'm like, I forget it's a comedy and I'm just watching like Eli Gemstone go through some shit. And then I'll be like, damn, John Goodman's really good in this. And then the, the, the children will show up and say something stupid. And I'm like, Oh, right. He's stuck in the, in this comedy. (laughs) It's like two different tones entirely. And I love it. I love that about the show. That John Goodman's like, yeah, this is a comedy, but I'm about to like act everybody's face off. What's good? Yeah, and and like you said, Walden Goggins is brother baby Billy. Like that dude's just such a piece of shit, but I enjoy every time I watch him. He's uh, Walton Goggins can do no wrong, and that that performance as baby Billy is expert comedy. Like I I don't every time he's on camera. I my I my eyes light up. I'm like, please, I'll I'll watch whatever he wants to do. He's so good. I think I want. I forget what show I watched him on, and somebody had asked him, "Why are you always the villain?" He's like, "Just look at my face. Like I look like a villain." <laughs> <laughs> but like every role, like he's just like the worst type of person. But he's so he's so good at everything. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Now, uh, now working uh, with them with TV versus movie, uh, did you feel much of a difference in the production? Uh, TV is faster. I'd worked in TV before. Um, I was on a CBS show called The Inspectors. It was like my first big TV, uh, big TV role. And um, yeah, TV is just faster. You know, like you know, we shot Halloween Kills for like a month, and film shooting film is fast too. But like, you know. Yeah, man, I, TV is a sprint. Like you've got, you've got like we've got so many days to film this episode. We've got to film everything for the season at this location right now. So like you know, it's it's such a it's such a sprint. Whereas like a in, with a movie, you kind of feel like okay, great, we're gonna spend you know so many days on this sequence, and we can kind of get it you know at, at not necessarily at your own pace, but like it, 
you don't feel like you're just running in a direction like you do with television. Like it is so fast. Um, but you know, I, like I said, I, and I think, I, I think working the way rough house works, it, it, you know, you don't really feel a lot of that crunch. It is, it's very much a, it's still a very fun, um, very experimental, uh, working space, which I, I really appreciate. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us today. And uh, besides your play, uh, do you have any other projects coming up? Yeah, so I'm currently um, a voice in a narrative podcast called Maxine Miles, which is a um, d- uh, like a mystery story, like a, a young adult mystery story set in the 90s uh, that follows a young girl named Maxine trying to solve the disappearance of her friend. And I play her very put upon uncle uh which <laughs> which i really like i love i love getting to play this character um max is such a cool like um veronica mars nancy drew type kit like character and i really love love getting to to interact with that so i uh, so you know definitely check that out it's on it's everywhere you're getting podcasts it's called maxine miles and then uh yeah i mean um welcome to greendale is back march 11th for for season five episodes and yeah, after I finish this production of Ben Butler, um, I will be, uh, I'm jumping into a a feature film, uh, this April, um, called live screamers. It's a sequel to a, uh, found footage film called live scream. That was about a guy who is on like a video game stream. He's doing a let's play and the video game starts killing his, um, his viewers. And this one, uh, the live screamers, the sequel, which I'm, I'm going to be starring in is about a, uh, collective, like a gaming collective that is filming a chair, a stream and the game starts killing them throughout the course of the game. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm shooting that soon and then going into another play and then, you know, uh, Oh, and for anybody who I don't, I don't know when this is coming out, but, uh, if it's before March 25th, uh, March 25th through the 27th, I'm going to be at Horror Hound Cincinnati as a, as a guest for my first post-Halloween horror convention. That's Super awesome. excited. Um, so, yeah, I'll be signing autographs and taking pictures and stalking the cast of Scream because <laughs> they're all going to be there. So uh, I'm going to be annoying them. And if you can find me, please come up and say hi. <laughs> and uh, and w- where can people keep up with you online about your upcoming projects? Oh, hey, I mean, you can follow me on Instagram at Michael Smallwood Forever, which is where I post about things that I'm doing and where I do my uh, every Monday night on my Instagram stories. I watch a movie and live react to it and some of them have been great. Like, uh, for instance, uh, last year I did The Invisible Woman, um, or no, The Invisible Man with uh, with uh, Elizabeth Moss, which was so good. Loved that movie. Um, but I've also done some absolute trash. Like, I recently did Cats and uh, The Rise of Skywalker, and they were both terrible. Um, and I've been working my way through the Twilight movies recently. And I know good pain. Luck. I know pain. Um, but yeah, so definitely check me out on Instagram at Michael Smallwood forever. And again, we want to thank you for being on here again with us today. And I definitely enjoyed being able to talk pro wrestling. That's always a plus. 
had a blast. Oh, yeah. yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Thanks, Mike. It was a pleasure. Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. Thank you again to Michael Smallwood for joining us today. And I think this is the most we got to talk to anybody about about wrestling. Yeah, man. And uh, we're compiling this a little after, a couple days after we uh, talked to him. But thinking back, I still think Attitude Air is still better. I don't think he fully swayed me on Ruthless Aggression, but it's close. Are, I think they're the two best for sure. Anyway me talking about wrestling i'm still on the fence but i do agree with the match quality anyway sorry anyway next week we'll have lucky mckee here with us and uh it's march but we're talking about may (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if you haven't seen may make sure uh, to check it out before next week that way uh you're up to snuff because uh we are not good at avoiding spoilers i think you guys should know that by now and if you haven't seen a movie from 2002 by now and you're listening to the review, then it's not really a spoiler. You're just behind. Yeah, that's sufficient amount of time's passed. That's on you. Anyway, make sure to check us out on social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at High on Horror 420. You can always send us an email at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our website, highonhorror.com, and you can sign up for our newsletter and you get latest episodes and guest announcements sent directly to your inbox. And uh, I think that'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Bye, everybody.